Welcome to Taiwan of Free, and this is the episode where we are covering Wolf, Devil Woman, and the Lady Avenger. And uh, to, to, to put things in perspective a little bit first, uh, following the trend of the female revenge movie that started to, to become very visible in the early 80s, uh, early 80s Taiwan cinema, the, that connects to the Lady Avenger, the female revenge movie that uh, started it started its trail via kind of the first movie on the society file of Shanghai. But we're also hitting dissing fantasy in this episode, and uh, combining it with the female f- female directors of Taiwan cinema as well. So what we're looking at tonight is uh, Pearl Chung's Wolf Devil Woman and Karen Yang Xiaoyun's The Lady Avenger. And uh, my name is Kenny B, and with me again is John Charles. So say hi. Hey Ken, nice to be back. Good, good. Well, welcome back. And you know, get, getting the are you getting the Taiwan bug or fever for better or worse? I mean, is this sensory overload watching so many Taiwanese movies that I know you have? <laughs> no, man, I wouldn't be here if I didn't enjoy it. And uh, I, I think actually, probably in the early days, I probably saw more Taiwanese films than Hong Kong films because most of the stuff that was available, at least in video stores in my area, was put out by small labels, and they couldn't really afford the films from companies like Golden Harvest and Shaw Brothers, so they'd mm-hmm. get uh, IFD uh, Thai. And then most of those were either Taiwan or probably Korea. Yeah. Uh, so I ended up seeing a lot of Taiwanese films early on. Did you watch a, a, a crap load of those uh, Elton Chong, Eagle Han, Ying movies that <laughs> IFT had? You know, the Dragon, the something, and the, oh, what's the movie that was? Uh, really... Dragon Against Vampire. Dragon Against Vampire was one of their movies that, <laughs> that I really liked. Did you get those? You think or remember? Yeah, yeah. There was a company called Saturn Video that released a bunch of those. Yeah, Elton was Elton and Eagle Han Ying was were kind of stars and during the early days of IFT and Aso Asia and what have you, they they were everywhere and they're not necessarily good movies, but uh, they 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 had careers international careers in that regard because these movies obviously were dubbed and then shot out of uh, shot out of uh, IFT and Aso Asia and probably could be picked up cheap by smaller companies um, or uh, or just uh, were sort of say picked up by bootleggers and put out that way. Yeah, I always wondered why IFD tried to pass them off as being Chinese. Did they think they'd sell better as Chinese movies, or did they think that people couldn't pronounce Korean names, so they just thought stuck faux Chinese names like Elton Chong and Mike Wong on them? I mean. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, Elton is sort of a crap name, but Eagle Han Ying is a fantastic combination. And, yep, uh, absolutely. He's a pretty fantastic martial artist, uh, if I remember correctly. So, uh, maybe he, he, was, he was a great kicker. I mean, in Dragon Against Vampire, he plays that uh, Shaolin sorcerer that sucks blood out of women's vaginas. But, uh, <laughs> you know, which is a movie that they, they never inserted any Westerners into IFD. They just presented that as it is, and uh, why shouldn't you? Well, it was obviously perfect, so why change it? Exactly. You 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 wouldn't want like Pierre Kirby or Richard Harrison be talking to Eagle Han Ying, <laughs> you know, in a very odd way. <laughs> How's the sucking blood out of women's going? <laughs> but uh, you never know. They did that as well. But uh, IFT is a fantastic subject that will be highlighted even more on the podcast on Fire Network in the future on IFT on Fire. But for now. This is a Taiwan Noir on the Podcast on Fire network. Yeah, the website is podcastonfire.com. And you can find uh, the like seven or eight shows. We actually had an addition, re- addition recently at the time of recording of the Two-Fisted podcast with uh, Sylvia Roram and Amber Skoronsky, uh, a.k.a. Achilles Girl and the Ninja Squid. So it's our female, not female only, but they are hosted by 
to, as they say in the show description, ideal females. And they did a an episode, and a rather extensive and uh, cool and informative episode on uh, Johnny Wang's Hong Kong Godfather. And uh, so, and we, we we got some good feedback on that, and uh, very glad to have them on the network. So look for, for my episode on uh, on that and from them, including an episode on profile in anger uh, in the not so distant future. Oh, Beardy returns. Exactly. <laughs> And our email, therefore, is podcastonfire at googlemail.com, where you can provide feedback. And we also have the now-closed uh, forum for uh, new registration, but uh, uh, old members can still access it. It's on podcastonfire.com forward slash forum, the members-only archive of cut conversations and exclusive movie reviews, and uh, in, in general, silly shenanigans is in the members-only archive, but we post exclusive content in the bonus episodes section on the website nowadays and those are episodes that are not available on itunes or stitcher only downloadable from podcastonfire.com and we also have our two facebook endeavors first is our page facebook.com forward slash pof network and also the uh, thriving and i'm glad to see it's uh, thriving our discussion group uh, that you can reach by typing in podcast on fire network in the facebook search box and uh, you'll have to be uh, request to be added and I'll uh, glad you add you uh, as soon as I see it and also follow us and also Stu's exploits obviously on the Twitter twitter.com forward slash podcast on fire you can see what Stu's viewing habits is uh, in general because he, he does a lot of Netflix and presumably while he's projecting he works as a projectionist so you know to pass to to pass time in between he watches like easily digestible TV on Netflix <laughs> via the projection booth. So, <laughs> and uh, I do my writing of the kind of movies that we're bringing up tonight. I have done reviews of Wolf Devil Woman and Lady Avenger on SoGoodReviews.com, and also brief video reviews of those at SleazyKVideo.com. And I'll talk about all of that on Twitter, twittercom forward slash SoGoodReviews. And as mentioned, we are on iTunes. You can subscribe to us via iTunes, the entire network, and. If you like the show, we would very much appreciate a rating and a comment. And uh, if you don't uh, prefer subscribing and downloading a ton of podcasts to your preferred device, then there's Stitcher. You can stream the entire Podcast on Fire Network on Stitcher. Just type in Podcast on Fire Network once you're in the application for your computer or tablet or or your iPhone, obviously. And uh, once you've typed in Podcast on Fire Network, you can, you can add each show individually. And before we get to your uh, plugs, I put this in the wrong order. I always like to mention the blog Golden Ninja Warrior Chronicles uh, that uh, primarily uncovers and unearths uh, the movies behind the the ninja movies, if you will, uh, especially if they are Taiwanese. But uh, Jesus is um, uncovering whatever Filipino movies were, were behind uh, Ninja Knight, Thunder Fox, and what have you, or, uh, or Thai movies. And uh, it's a great little endeavor, a great little detective work. Uh, um, and in, in worst cases, uh, you can only uncover them and present this. He, he can't uncover them by watching them. He just can uncover them by doing the detective work. So it's kind of, you know, you get a reward kind of, not necessarily the access to the original movies that uh, IFT bought and uh, then recut and put uh, Richard Harrison and Mike Abbott into. But uh, as always, Jesus is doing a great job. And uh, and uh, it's not only IFT movies. It's uh, the film arc stuff as well, which uh, happens to be a lot of Filipino and Thai stuff. And uh, so that... That link is in the show post, and uh, also your endeavors, uh, John. Why don't you tell us about that? 
Uh, well, I have my blog, By John Charles. That's on Blogspot. By John Charles is all one word. And I'm in my 20th year with Video Watchdog, still contributing, and I'm also associate editor. And I'm on Twitter, uh, JC Guelph, J-C-G-U-E-L-P-H. And my old Hong Kong digital site is still up. Uh, there's about 300 reviews there if you want to stop by. And uh, I think that's about it for now. Right on. Well, tw- 20 years. Congratulations on that. That's an, that's a, an amazing number, really. Yeah, it's a long run, man. Yeah. And uh, still going strong, it seems. Yep, uh, we're just working on issue 170 right now. All right. And, uh, okay. Wolf, devil, woman. <laughs> it's, it's, uh, it's possibly a movie that has a little bit of rap out there. At least our leading lady, director, producer, writer definitely has a rep out there. And that's uh, Pearl Jung. And uh, a little bit of background on her. I've never really looked into it because I was kind of convinced there wasn't too much background on it. But... Uh, you know, when you search the internet, sometimes you uh, you hit up uh, some gems, and I hit up a review of uh, Wolf Devil Woman. It's from 1981, by the way, and that review was at Teleport City, and uh, as their review said, uh, and we referenced this during part two to some ex- extent. So, quote: What Taiwan's martial arts cinema lacked in terms of budget and top-notch performance, it made up for in crazy. <laughs> And uh, Todd, that said site, uh, who wrote this piece, uh, I don't remember his last name uh, right now, he, he really provided uh, the info that I'm going to present to you on Pearl. Uh, so uh, I'm, uh, this is a summary of, uh, of his, uh, of his uh, biography and review, and you'll see this link in the show post as well. And Pearl first became a household name as she starred in the popular Taiwanese TV series Bodyguard that ran apparently nightly across over 250 episodes uh, wow. during during two years so so obviously you can log 250 episodes when you um, when you air nightly uh, this is 1974 and 1975 and uh, the series producer Chen Minghua directed a big screen version or maybe continuation of uh, the series the starring Pearl in 1976 called China Armed Escorts I tried to get this movie. I found a download of it, but it wasn't um, it wasn't available anymore. Uh, the print wasn't that particularly great looking. So I don't know if I would have gotten anything out of it other than the the action. Possibly it was subtitled, but very very fuzzy looking. Uh, but there there is a clip out there on uh, on YouTube, and we will include the clip in the show post, so you can get a, an idea of what it is and what what the movie is, and presumably the series was um, it was a, a wuxia piano or swordplay fantasy movie, if you will. And it didn't really go on to make much money at the box office, uh, China Armed Escort. Uh, but the pair of Pearl and producer Chen was seemingly inseparable as she appeared in all of Chen's seven features as director. This is all, if I remember correctly, a pre-Wolf Devil Woman. Uh, the series and the likes of um, China Armed Escort uh, did, the, the series probably more though, did secure an image of Pearl as uh, a, a, wuxia, a wuxia pian heroine, uh, which seemed to be an advantage for her because she seemingly didn't look like she knew martial arts, like female stars like Polly Kwan and Angela Mao did at the time. Uh, but uh, then again, you can't just be automatically, you, you can't just automatically hang on wires and uh, and shooting, you know, hand raised out of your hand and, and appear cool and kick ass. You know, you obviously need to 
project something on screen and Pearl definitely had something even if it was only the crazy and grating and dissing and (laughs) (laughs) but um, yeah Uh, early 80s saw Pearl taking creative control herself starting with uh, um, a movie that has uh, the title is better than the actual content the title doesn't really represent the content but regardless it's called Dark Lady of Kung Fu where she starred wrote and directed and it could be argued well it's not hard to argue that it channels uh law Wei's shaw brothers movie uh the gorgeous looking but goddamn boring <laughs> black butterfly uh which itself took uh Cho yun's um I think it's a 1965 movie, Black Rose, in the period ter- territory. Black Rose, I think, starred Connie Chan, was uh, one of those uh, Hong Kong's attempt at uh, echoing, uh, you know, the 60s spy uh, TV series, Avengers, and with a little bit of James Bond. And uh, it was very influential at the time. And Black Butterfly is a period movie with uh, Chow Chow as, uh, as the heroine, in, in this case, um, dressed in purple. Um, did, did, you, you watched Black Butterfly, I think, before this podcast. What did you think of it? Yeah, I did. Um, well, I guess I liked it better than you, obviously. Um, yeah. It's funny, Lo Wei, um, this is apparently his second shot at it, because he also did a film in 1960 called Black Butterfly. Okay. Um, that doesn't seem to be available, so I can't compare the two. My friend Neil Koch on Facebook, uh, when he, I posted that I was watching Black Butterfly, and he linked to his review, and he, he basically said that um, the problem with Lo Wei is that he doesn't really have any directorial style and and he's he's right he's he's, he basically he's competent but he i mean for example chang che is not a particularly stylish director but you know you're watching a chang che film almost immediately Mm -hmm. he's very distinctive um low way um i can't think of a at least until he went to taiwan in the late 70s and started doing low budget stuff i can't think of any of his earlier films that i'd call shoddy but they're never really any better than acceptable I mean, mm-hmm. Black Black Butterfly is fine. It it held my interest. Uh, there were some good elements in it, and of course, being a Shaw film from that period, it looked quite nice. Uh, but it's not it's not really exceptional. It it's fine. That's that's really about as enthusiastic as I could get. Yeah, I mean, if I were to stretch myself, yeah, I would say it's acceptable. But uh, low low way, probably based on that fact that it has no style. Not that I require style. I can love when people are just in a frame and sitting and down and talking, you know. But uh, his movies were long often this isn't as long as other movies and boring and uh, he seemed to have a little bit of career syndrome sometimes just shorten your goddamn movies man but uh, <laughs> uh black butterflies fine well, one of the better ones i saw from him aside from fist of fury uh, was the cheng pei pei movie uh, none but the brave mm, which okay. is a long long ass movie but that kept my interest up you know mostly thanks to cheng pei pei i would say yeah, his Golden Harvest stuff was not as glossy. As, uh, I guess, I don't know if he had uh, less money from Raymond Chow compared mm-hmm. to the, what the Shaws gave him. Um, his Bruce Lee films, I mean, when I watch them, I only care about Bruce Lee. Everything yeah. else is just pretty secondary. They're, they're competent, but I can see why Bruce Lee didn't want to work with him again mm-hmm. after doing those two films. Yeah, I would say so as well. I, I think Black Butterfly was the first Shaw Brothers movie of his that I've seen. I've always been curious to see if combined with the... With the um, the production value that you can achieve with your movie at Shaw Brothers would low way, actually, uh, uh, would a low way movie feel a lot more better at Shaw's? Based on this, no. But uh, that's just uh, my feeling. I won't rush out to see his other movies. But then he did a movie with Cheng Pei Pei. Did he do The Shadow Whip by any chance? Uh, yes, yes, that's one of his. And uh, I mean, there you go. You had 
Ching Pei Pei, you had Chen Feng in it, which was the best part of Black Butterfly. I, I love Chen Feng, but funnily enough, I mean, he played Bruce Lee's master in Fist of Fury. I've never ever really liked him outside of Shaw Brothers movies. Shaw Brothers movies seem uh, where he got to stretch himself a little bit, both playing bad guys and good guys. Obviously, he's the bad, guys, uh, bad guy in King Boxer. Fantastic, but uh, I've never really liked Chen Feng outside of Shaw Brothers. I don't know why. Well, I guess it's the same as over here. The older you get, the less interesting the parts are offered to you. So, mm-hmm. I, mean, I mean, he was still pretty old at Shaw Brothers, but I guess by the time he actually does turn up in Dark Lady of Kung Fu, and I yes. remember sitting there thinking, I wonder if he was sitting there on the set thinking, I've, I've already done this movie, but this is sure as hell isn't the way I remember it. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, on Dark Lady of um, of uh, Kung Fu, I mean, and a little bit more on Black Rose, it was essentially a masked heroine, a Robin Hood character of sorts, leaving behind a calling card, and, uh, and got popular through TV and movies, uh, presumably. I've not seen and studied on the if uh, the features were extensive uh, in any way. I, I know more contemporary movies, uh, Channel Black Rose, obviously. Uh, God damn it, what was the... Not that I really care, but what, what was the Twins movie? Protégé de la Rose Noire, that was it. Right. <laughs> and uh, so I think that that's one of the more uh, recent ones. But, um, yeah, it it drew influence from overseas TV, such as the Adam West Batman series. And uh, But but Dark Lady of Kung Fu does really connect to that. It's, it, it is a wild mix of... Incoherency, um, stolen spaghetti, Western uh, scores and cues. Uh, yeah, day, I, of, day of anger, man. There's that was music. it. That was the one. I knew, I I knew it. But I, God damn it, uh, that that's why I had you on the show to argue <laughs> that stuff. <laughs> but it, it's not even Ritz Ortolani's original recording. It's like a, a dinky Casio cover of his score. <laughs> it sounds very strange. Uh, Pink Panther score turns up. Right, and it's got uh, the, the tones from Close Encounters of the Third. Character exactly, it's it's they they at least replicate it. Uh, I don't know why it's uh, it's uh, it was some comedic sequence. Lots of pop music in there. Uh, it, it's really trippy too. I mean, what what Pearl liked, and we will discuss this in uh, in the Wolf Devil Woman the, the review of that. I wish you liked Ben Hill, or just like to see uh, stuff moving move really fast on screen. And I don't know, by the way, now if Ben Hill is when if that was. Before Pearl's time or not, but uh, it's a it's a really living underground cartoon with some inspired designs, though, like Pearl's stone robot she trains with that then beats up her gang of street children. Like uh, they they almost uh, like a what is it called? Like a, uh, it looks like a whack a mole kind of right. scene. Right, right. I wanted to bring that up because I'm glad you brought up slapstick. That scene where she's trying to make money, so she has this little device with holes in it which she keeps sticking her head up and the idea is you pay for the honor to try and chop her head off yeah. before she can pull her head back. I mean, that, that, that whole scene is just nuts. It's so much fun. It's a, it, overall, it is fun, but I, I, I've decided finally that, uh, that uh, the, I, I'm not going to try and follow the plot of Dark Lady of Kung Fu anymore. I'm just going to watch it for, <laughs> for, for the noises and the occasional uh, comedic, uh, comedic uh, nuggets, uh, golden nuggets, and, uh, and design. I mean, uh, uh, I think Pearl, compared to Wolf Devil Woman, really, it, it, this movie suffers from debut director syndrome, I think, because she wanted to put everything in there. Yeah. <laughs> This is it, what I like. I like this. I like this. I like this. I'm going to steal from everyone. I'm not going to pay a cent to anyone. I like these 10, 10 uh, pop music songs. I'm going to get those in as well. Yeah, and those, those goddamn Ocean Shores dubbers, man. I don't think there's a subtitle version of this available. So I had to watch the dubbed version. And there's there's a character named Cool Hand Look. Yes. <laughs> and, and a couple of morons named Laurel and Hardy. I mean, come on. 
yeah, the ocean short dubbers uh, dubs and dubbers were pretty annoying. I I, I I named the Wolf Devil Woman dub, which is fortunately not the one we watched. The I've named it the Rudolph dub because there is a character called yeah. Rudolph in it, possibly the comedic sidekick. But, but come on, man. Uh, IFD could do it, you know, in their cut and paste movies, you know, name characters, uh, uh, you know, the most come up with the most ludicrous names where you just go, that's not a real name, really. That's not a natural name, Robert, you know. Yeah, I, I can tell you something. If Ken, if you'd killed my wife and kid, I would not say. Kenneth, you murdered my wife and children. I, I love how they always called the villains by their first name. I mean, no, <laughs> nobody would do that. But uh, you know, on Pearl Chung, I mean, I've, I mean, I, I, I've not seen a whole lot because she didn't do a whole lot really. I've not seen the pre uh, Dark Lady of Kung Fu stuff. Uh, mostly focused uh, fo- focused on this era. But one movie that I personally remember, uh, which I really dug, it's uh, one that I think is an, uh, an AKA for, which is not really correct is wolf devil woman free and it's a movie called miraculous flower aka phoenix the ninja because it was picked up by ifd and released uh, uh, released sans any westerners inserted into it but the ifd version is uh, missing pretty much all the gore it's a pretty gory movie but uh, miraculous flower i really liked it's a time it's a fantasy movie and uh, just good good fun very serious i remember and it was one that she didn't direct uh, that's the one with the evil monk, is it not? Where they have the final battle amongst lava in that cave. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I remember that, finding the first half of that rather slow, but then enjoying the second half, especially the climax. Yeah, and uh, Wang Xie turns up. I think he's... I don't know if he was the villain necessarily, <laughs> Wang Xie. <laughs> but uh, it was good fun, I remember. But I'm looking forward to rewatching that. I have a subtitled uh, version somewhere. It was also put out by Ocean Shores, and thankfully I have a version, as I said, subtitled and not dubbed by the... Um, by the inept double set ocean shores so uh, but uh, th- that's pretty much me i mean what, what what's your general take on pearl and uh, what she did and uh, what, what movies do you remember watching uh well when i first became aware of her I, I sought out all the films i could and back then it inevitably meant watching really third and fourth generation dubs so i've i was looking over her filmography and i've actually seen a fair number of her films but they they tend to run together for me like i know i've seen for example men of the hour i remember that stars charlie chin but i don't remember anything else about it and kings of fists and dollars i remember that has pearl and david chiang in it but i don't remember anything else about it part i guess part of its old age but her her films have a very um distinct look and feel so for me they kind of run together after a while even the ones that she didn't direct it uh they, they seem very similar in approach mm-hmm. uh, it's just that whole genre of, of taiwanese uh, fantasy kung fu um, so I know I enjoyed them, more or less at the time, but I guess they, most of them weren't dis- as distinct as, say, Wolf Devil Woman, to really mm-hmm. stand out for me in, and stay really fresh in my memory. Uh, did you watch uh, Matching Escort, the so to say sequel to Wolf Devil Woman? It's called Wolf Devil Woman 2 somewhere. But, uh... Yeah, I think that, I'd probably pick that as your best film, because I think it's the most consistent in terms of fun. It, it, there are sections of Wolf Devil Woman that drag a little bit, but Matching Escort is pretty consistent all the way through. Um, I have a Ground Zero DVD of that, which calls it Fury of the Silver Fox, which yeah. I, I, I guess they're trying to tie it to Wang Zhang Yes, white hair. Let's channel the Wang Zhang Li angle with Silver Fox and what have you. Know. Yeah, yeah I, th- I, think, I think the IFD title on that one is Venus the Ninja. So that, that's another film without a ninja with Pearl in it. Um, but uh, she didn't actually direct that one. Sima Peng directed that. Uh, 
yeah, she listed she's listed as co-director on HKMDB, but uh, I, I could very much uh, see that uh, that that could both be an, an error or um, or uh, you know she she didn't necessarily need to be behind the camera to make these movies stand out, you know, uh, and uh, you know maybe it was good for her to focus on only being in front of the camera, so to say. For uh, for because uh, it, it really, you know. These three movies, Wolf Devil Woman, Matching Escort, and, and Miraculous Flower, I think are the ones that were, are going to be mostly remembered. And uh, so it's good to hear that the that the quality is uh, raised. And in Miraculous Flower, I, hopefully that when comparing to Matching Escort for me will reveal that as well. Like she's getting better, better, but she didn't do too much. I mean, she, her last credit is in 1983 in terms of feature, in terms of feature movies, Fantasy Mission Force, apparently. Mm, uh, what a movie uh, which I'm not seeing yet I have it but I'm saving it for some type of coverage on, on this network yeah, I've actually planned possibly a commentary on it but I, I need to be prepared with uh, participants that know all the movies that Chu Yenping is channeling <laughs> channeling that's a nice yes. it. <laughs> and uh, just people who know to have fun with that movie because it's one of the most hated Jackie Chan movies out there which is um you know, Taiwan insanity is in a quiet taste. I'll, I'll give them that. But uh, come on, man. It, it seems fun. Hell, I'll come out and say I love Fantasy Mission Force. I mean, if you like Golden Queen's Commando and Pink Force Commando, this is just more of the same with an even better cast. <laughs> no, I, I can watch that film forever. And now that that German DVD is out, there's a great widescreen version you can watch. And yeah. it also has an English dub. So, nope, you're, you're all set. It's great. Great. And, uh, okay, on Wolf Devil Woman again, yeah. Things changed drastically from from her early movies and, and Dark Lady of Kung Fu uh, to an extent to more frantic uh, Wuxia, Wuxia Pian with 1981's Wolf Devil Woman where she again took on major roles behind and in front of the camera in you know a, a refreshing move that in my mind makes her very much remembered uh, today even though the same move being behind the camera and all of that was taken in her mentioned debut I think uh, this one is more widely available and more remembered because it's a better movie. Uh, but uh, it, it's uh, refreshing to see uh, a woman, you know, really taking reins uh, full on, you know. And uh, to what extent she handled the action, I don't know. There's no action credits in, in English on on the print. And uh, and there's not, nothing on HKMDB as well. But uh, maybe she involved herself to, an, to, to a degree, hopefully anyway. Uh, Viewers of this might feel a lat well, not a latter scene, but scenes throughout are, fami- are familiar that they are reminiscent of the bride with white hair because Pearl's character transforms uh, multiple times from black hair to white hair in uh, in rather poor transformations in some scenes and and pretty good transformation in other scenes. The <laughs> uh, the dissolve cuts aren't really good but uh, the uh, transformation done in actual cuts work much better but uh, they are familiar because they are based on the same wuxia novel uh, again i don't know how true each movie is to the source material but they are adaptations of uh, liang yusheng's 1958 novel uh, it doesn't have a title it's merely said in one of the articles i read by fa mono shuan but uh, Again, possibly one is closer to the source material than the other. I would guess the bride with white hair matches it more. 
Yeah, I think so, probably. I mean, there's probably not a scene in the novel where the character, or, you know, eats a ton of food and then transforms herself, in, gets transformed into the white, uh, <laughs> to the white uh, head, uh, devil, the snowflower, if you will. <laughs> mm. But um, uh, I, I know the bride with white hair enough to know that I didn't need to compare this to Wolf Devil Woman to see any similarities. I, I, they are way different movies. I mean, there's no romance angle, for instance, in Wolf Devil Woman. There no pronounced romance angle a la Ronnie Hughes movie. So it's safe to say they are different takes on, on it all. Yeah, and it's also interesting because uh, the Lee Naishang character that Bridget Lin played in the Bride with White Hair films, uh, Lee Bingbing plays her in Forbidden Kingdom. And her interpretation of the role is completely evil, as I remember in the mm-hmm. uh, Jackie Chan Jet Li film. I'd be, I think, I believe there is another a Taiwanese film uh, from around 1980 that also tackles the novel. Um, I'm, unfortunately, I'm forgetting the title off the top of my head. I don't know if it's available with subtitles, but I'd, I'd love to see this character in other films as well. Uh, must have made uh, an impression, uh, you know, enough of an impression to even reach a a co-production like uh, The Forbidden Kingdom. Uh, so uh, at least that character, that uh, transformation from to the s- snowflower character, if you will, uh, surely must have made an impression on uh, on readers. And um, and uh, I, I I would guess also it has turned up on on TV in various uh, sort of series, if you will. But um, that's uh, that's uh, we have a little bit more background. But I want to go to plot now, and I took it from my review of the film. So. That's why the plot synopsis is very, very poor. But uh, <laughs> that's where it is. Um, and if I were to write a plot synopsis for Dark Lady of Kung Fu, uh, there would be no plot synopsis. <laughs> because I, I have no idea what happened there. But this one, I, I got a pretty firm grip of uh, what happened here. So, uh, fleeing from the grip of the devil army that sacrifices humans to build a voodoo army or a zombie army. Two parents, uh, the mother is played by Pearl Chung as well. And their infant girl sacrifices themselves in, and with their infant girl, rather, sacrifices themselves in an avalanche. A pack of uh, wolves, or dogs, uh, <laughs> they're, they're, they're not wolves, they're dogs, <laughs> they yes. find the child still alive and raises it as one of their own. And growing up to be an animal without any human interaction, Snowflower, as she's later named, again, played by Pearl Chung, befriends uh, swordsman Lee, played by Sek Fung, and his assistant Wong, played by Pa Guo, who teaches her human ways. And they are on the hunt, those two, for a ginseng route to battle back against the devil army that holds a firm grip on the people. And Snowflower's development also leads to uncovering the truth about her parents' death, and she wants revenge. You see, I, I I got almost the entire movie. You know? Well, you, you make it sound miraculously straightforward. Yeah, yeah, uh, that's what I do. I try, I try anyway <laughs> to give, give my readers a sort of. The, the, I, I promise you, this is what it's about, even though you might not get all of it. But uh, uh, it's interesting. We, we talked IFD for a bit, and uh, we're going to continue because. Uh, what we've screened for review is the IFD-acquired and presented version of Wolf Devil Woman, retitled to the somewhat desperate title Wolf and Ninja. Mm. And uh, I saw a video art, uh, a show Kazuji presents kind of video art for Wolf and Ninja, so it's uh, been distributed that way, maybe extensively, rather than the uh, dubbed Ocean Shores. Uh, yeah, we actually, got both, we actually got both versions in stores here. Mm-hmm. And uh, what is cool about the IFD version is they didn't 
cut up and inserted Richard Harrison into their ninja action. <laughs> you, uh, you know, uh, you, you would have expected uh, Richard Harrison to fit neatly beside the fantasy action and the ninja action that is present here. But uh, IFD did present quite a few Taiwanese movies as they were, you know, they merely dubbed them or maybe took out a few minutes or some violence to get it below 90 minutes or just 90 minutes because it seemed like a general rule of thumb for IFD that nothing can run over 90 minutes and I think you mentioned in one of your reviews for it was Robo Vampire actually you, you went over the fact that they were almost precisely 90 minutes sometimes <laughs> yeah yeah the ntsc uh, transfers without the pal speed up they're almost exactly 90 minutes you know how fast ifd movies end right yeah <laughs> it's just exactly. boom the end <laughs> bye-bye which uh, is very refreshing though you don't need crap afterwards uh, when it's done it's done you know when richard harrison has won has been and has the golden ninja warrior in his hand or you know i think even in ninja terminator i think the end screen is when philip kofay blows himself up in the background uh, Richard Harrison looks back at him while holding the Golden Ninja Warrior. The end. <laughs> you know, that happened. But um, it uh, received, therefore, what I presume is an in-house dubbing job by IFD. This is not the Ocean Shores dub that they slapped over their version, thankfully. And it's way more preferable to the annoying dubbing that Ocean Shores produced for their Hong Kong video release. It actually was released on VHS subtitled, but um, the Laserdisc, at least, is uh, a raw print without any subtitles and uh, has uh, optional uh, English dubbing on it. And uh, I think also the VHS released by Ocean Shores, they reformatted the subtitles. So it was a crop print, but uh, they reformatted the subtitles to fit the cropped print, which uh, is fantastic. I yeah, mean, I've for... seen a few, few Ocean Shores titles like that. Um, Phoenix the Ninja was another one as well. Yeah, exactly. And, um, you know, I... I, I I said this earlier. I, I call uh, I, I call the Ocean Shores dub the Rudolph dub, and I I, 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 fi- I, I find that amusing because they use their su- such crazy names on their on their dubbing uh, on their dubbing jobs, uh, much like IFD did in their cut and paste efforts. But another movie that springs to mind in terms of the crazy names for for the English dub is uh, Chang Chia's Nine Demons, which I oh, think yeah. fun movie. But I think one of the characters is called Steve. <laughs> I, it's not a modern movie it's a it's a it's a supernatural fantasy kind of thing and i think uh, you know the adventures of steve and paul or something <laughs> in, in ocean in ocean shore's defense there there's one beneficial thing if you if you can't find wolf and ninja and they're actually well we'll get to it later but there's two reasons to watch wolf devil woman even though it's cropped um the dubbing is terrible as you said but in their defense they actually explain things that that the i the adda dubbers that for ifd didn't for example the opening scene where pearl and her husband are with the baby they're surrounded by the demons they're obviously going to die so what they do is they stab each other and then bang their heads on the ground to cause an avalanche and i remember watching wolf and ninja thinking what the hell is going on why would they do that <laughs> but in in the ocean shores version they actually inserted a line where pearl's character says there like the when they kill each other the blood uh, sprays onto the baby so she says there the blood will keep you warm under the snow so oh okay that's why not that it makes any sense, but like, you know, at least I understand now why you just did that instead of fighting to the death. Um, but uh, yeah, no, the, the Ocean Shores dubbing, they really, as in addition to anglicizing their names, they really don't even try to match the voices with the characters at all. I mean, the ADDA dubbing is, is usually always preferable. Mm-hmm. And uh, what is also preferable to have this movie in full uh, widescreen, which uh, we do. I bought the um, 
Greek video version that is uh, uh, the full scope print uh, dubbed into English, and uh, that's as um, close to optimal uh, optimal viewing that we will ever come at this point because there there will be no Mandarin version with subtitles in widescreen anytime soon, and and, and the dubbing is okay. I mean it's the standard dub as far as dubs go, but there isn't uh, isn't an annoying dub at all. Uh, so I, I prefer this version uh, to, to watch this version. Some of the performances in comic relief are pitched so high that there's really no way to dub them into English without being kind of annoying. But I think they do a, a pretty good job mm-hmm. for by IFD standards. And they also respect the Pearl to the extent that they kept her, if we go by the assumption that the name Pearl appeared before the IFD days. But uh, regardless, she she's called that in the opening credits and her directing credit is maintained as well. So the IFD took time to respect that, even though they did throw in Godfrey or Benny Ho somewhere in the credits as writer or production designer. So, so it's partly made up, partly still the true credits, if you will. And uh, I, I saw the screen cap you did of the matching escort. They didn't even bother to uh, change the gentleman, if it is indeed a gentleman's uh, Chinese name on that. So it's it's as close as his Chinese name as you can come in terms of a directing credit. Uh, uh, I was surprised that they put in, put they didn't put Larry or Stephen before his uh, before his uh, Chinese. <laughs> yeah, Lawrence Fall strikes again. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so uh, that's uh, that's what we're watching. It's uh, I liked it way more therefore than years before when I watched the cropped uh, Ocean Shores VCD, which I know I owned and for the I can't find. I usually don't throw away my VCDs or trade stuff because they don't take up a lot of space, but I can't find the wolf double woman easily which should be easy because it's lime green the case <laughs> so you can find it but uh my brief opinion first and then we'll get to your brief opinion and after that we'll get into more extensive opinions if we have it uh, you can tear wolf devil woman apart critically if you like but come on the eagerness of dark lady kung fu is put to better use here way better use and the pearl dazzles me and makes me dizzy as well <laughs> with this <laughs> sensory overload and I, I i think it's loads of fun despite bumps along the way in terms of pace but uh, it's pretty furiously paced overall anyway so uh, so in short what uh, what did you think yeah i mean just like we mentioned last time where taiwanese filmmakers may not have had the money or the resources to compete with say golden harvest or uh, shaw brothers they really I piled on the crazy and the energy to keep just things things moving, and so you just don't have a chance to get bored. I mean, you just sit there thinking, "Whoa, wow, ah. <laughs> that, that's wild! I've never seen anything like that." Mm-hmm. So, actually, this film was um, a holy grail for me for a long time. I'd heard about Wolf Devil Woman, and Ocean Shores tapes didn't really get a lot of distribution in Canada, so I never ran across that. Mm-hmm. And um, Trans World released uh, Wolf and Ninja as one of the uh, IFD titles they picked up, but. Uh, our wonderful censor board here in Ontario banned it, so it was on the you know not approved list. So that that may be for, even more for violence, presumably, or you know. Uh, well, well, the, I didn't see the documentation. It was just listed as rejected. So, but when I finally saw the film, I think it's rejected been, because it's crap. <laughs> Next, <laughs> <laughs> wouldn't surprise me. Uh, but I think the scene where a pearl tears apart a rabbit and uh, mm. just some of the other animal deaths, like you see a rabbit getting shot with an arrow and so forth, things that could easily have been cut and resubmitted, but I think the distributors didn't want to bother taking the time and spending the money. So mm-hmm. um, Golden Ninja Warrior was also rejected here in Ontario because uh, undoubtedly because of the rape scenes. Oh, yeah. yeah. Uh, but, uh, but when I finally did find Wolf and Ninja, it's, it, it certainly lived up to the hype. I mean, the opening scene just had me thinking, 
God, what kind of movie is this? Because you see a couple of guys wearing rubber Halloween masks, and I'm thinking, well, <laughs> did they have those in this period? But then you realize, no, these are actual demons. <laughs> those aren't supposed to be masks. But you immediately go with it and say, okay, yeah, I can accept that. I, I think the, it was a character called Master Red in the uh, IFD version. I, I, I was sort of jumping back and forth between IFD and Ocean Shores, but I think he's called <laughs> Master Red, Red or Rudolph. <laughs> Rudolph, yes. You never know. <laughs> But, but you know, with his perspective, can you see that Pearl uh, learned a thing or two from Dark Lady of Kung Fu going into this? Yeah, the narrative is more coherent, certainly. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, a, it's a little more disciplined. I mean, she, she well, I agree with that, but what what, uh, what I also uh, noticed now two movies in, so to say, that you, you definitely picked up that she l- liked a thing or two. Uh, and definitely, you know, a, a, a fast frame you know not just an undercranked frame but that kind of a dissing frame and thankfully this is the wide frame so we can see kind of where they're all going <laughs> you know it's not cropped or anything and uh, you know that opening scene is just has tons of signs of eagerness to please you know the elements are just blasting away the camera is in tense even though it's not particularly honed style but you know it's loud and jarring it has atari like sound effects all over the all over the place you know it you know it, it's so much fun hearing those kind of effects for mundane things or huge huge special effects purposes you know pew, 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 pew. and you know and there's attempts at gory animation uh, during right. the opening sacrifice i mean it's not a great attempt but you know holy hell they didn't just they didn't even uh, they couldn't probably proof prepare a prosthetic in that regard so they had the frame switch to traditional animation for a kind of a, a not an alien like chest burst but something bursts out of this uh, victim's body <laughs> and but but in my opinion and i wanted to hear your opinion on that I, I think all of this is so sincere and so energetic and so you know um what is the word it's uh, infectious you know, to, to, to be part of this, like, assault of stuff. So what do you think of that? Uh, do, do you like uh, that in this, in this movie? Yeah, I mean, as you mentioned, the opening scene is great. I mean, you've got thunder cracking and human sacrifice and people dressed in wild costumes. Yeah, I mean, it's really a film that really tries to grab you and just maintain your attention all the way through. And I like the humorous touches, too. I mean, Pearl's character is raised by wolves so somehow she ends up with a curved spine i guess because she's walking on all fours so our hero um uses kung fu to cure her scoliosis and straighten her spine at one point so we get the sunny chiba like inside view of her spine straightening up (laughs) it's a sign of the of that epileptic type of uh, editing that uh, pearl seemingly uh, likes to employ uh, uh, and uh, it, it, it almost goes like that choice goes in line with sort of the audio design choices as well that IFD, I think, echoed when they redoubled it because the movie is, when the events are loud, the movie is super loud as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, with with uh, the editing, with the frantic editing, you get like huge loud sound effects as well. Uh, but I, I, I think it's absolutely infectious. And uh, I mean, you, you, you're on board with, with that type of design that you described, that like when you see the, the masked some things that you think oh they're wearing halloween masks but they're actually demons you know that's impossible to dislike if you're after enjoyment you know in my opinion but uh of course you can tear this movie apart critically as i said but uh 
I it's just it's just great great fun for all its drawbacks as well because again obviously the wolves that they have on set are not wolves they're dogs yeah and they're uh, also dubbed by humans there's humans going rawr, 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 rawr. <laughs> is it really hard to get a dog bark yeah i yeah ift surely must have had that uh, that element in their audio library but well, uh, that, that's actually in the ocean shores version too so really they, okay. they just worked, worked with what they were handed so yeah so that i mean that adds to the humor and and they are sprayed white in some scenes for dogs and really poorly too <laughs> just a little bit on the side on the head Shh. okay go bring your dogs to the set we're gonna make this shit work right now <laughs> and, and and you also forget about stuff like I, m m most of my notes are like who cares whatever go with it i mean you 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 might question yourself you, yourself who who uh, did the who sold the clothes made the clothes that pearl's character wears you know the uh uh, the uh, essentially the uh, animal skin, the animal fur. Who made those? Who did her makeup? Because she yes. was fantastic. But you know what? You 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 shouldn't you shouldn't question it because the energy is just right. And and Pearl definitely catches the attention of the audience of the enjoyment anyway early. Even though you know as a formula movie, as a genre movie, it's not you know super unique and like the you know the second. It, how do you say, uh, like a formula that 10,000 other movies uh, echoed or anything like that. It's not a super original movie. It's it's, it's unique overall, of course, but uh, it's uh, it, it moves, it, it makes noises and has the right almost abstract feel at times because it, I, I, I know for a fact I don't know 100% of what goes on in this movie, but I like the whooshy noises and sounds sometimes. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, th this many years down the line and this many thousands of movies, I don't mind formula plots, but I'm really happy if a movie can show me things I've never seen before. And, mm -hmm. and this this film, even, I mean, I saw this first years ago, but re-watching it, I, I, I still can't remember a film where I've seen someone get tortured by hanging them from one well and then dragging them underground and pulling them up through the other well and just doing that back and forth. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's the scene where the, uh, essentially, like the the they discover that she's a monster because after like the f uh, the food scene where she eats and eats and eats she transforms into the uh, her hair turns white and they uh, think she's a monster i guess so it's the pitchfork moment kind of although without yeah. the pitchforks yeah, it's, it's like a muddy python we found a witch maybe burn her <laughs> turn me into newt <laughs> yeah scenes like that the whack-a-mole scene that we mentioned um characters getting set on fire and it having being rendered with cartoon flames uh and also, the, the one problem with the IFD version is that then Pearl comes up with a really un unique way of putting out the flames, and I hope this doesn't qualify as a spoiler, but uh, she bites chunks out of her arm, and blood sprays out of the wound, and that's what puts out the flames on oh. the one character. And for some reason, that is cut out of the IFD version, so there's a really uh, bad edit, and she's all of a sudden really hurt and bleeding, and the other character is put out, and you don't find out why that happens you have to, uh, you, have to see, you have to see the ocean shores version to see that i i don't know why ifd would cut that considering how gory the rest of the film is maybe that's the version they were sent and that's what they had to work with yeah because they did i mean it, yeah it, it doesn't make sense because if you look at miraculous flower when they uh when it turned into phoenix the ninja at ifd they took out tons of gore not just uh one or two bits they took out almost all of it but uh you're, you're right i mean the animal cruelty is still in this version uh, the robber you know, it, it it's with emphasis on cruel. I mean, as you said, one is shot with an arrow, one is torn apart. I don't know if it's necessarily a live rabbit, but it's definitely a rabbit that Pearl 
tears apart as a technique that her character knows, which is later echoed in an action scene where she kind of off-screen tears a human apart. <laughs> uh, but uh, not not very cool, but uh, what are you going to do? Yeah, I mean, it's certainly odd. If you were selling films to different countries, I, you'd think the strategy would be to offer them the full uncut version and then let them edit them as necessary. So mm-hmm. I, I don't know why uh, Joseph Lai would have taken that footage out, if he did indeed do it. So mm-hmm. that's just another IFD mystery we'll have to live with. Yeah. Uh, one, um, you know, on IFD, we have ninjas in this movie, and uh, therefore we can bring in a little bit of discussion about the action, which is action you really should, based on how it's presented, you, you should hate it. Uh, but I, I love it, because it's it's really cutty, let's say. It's really, like, tightly edited, and th- there's no... The wire work is not very explicitly shown. There's just things sipping through the frame and back and forward, back and forward, back and forward. But combining all the audio elements and energy, I can't find a bad thing to say about the energy in the action scenes, especially that ninja assault on, I think, Wang Xie's uh, entourage, if you will, is, uh, is uh, ambushed by ninjas uh, in, in the middle of the film. I, I just love that stuff. When, peop- when things go, you know, whoosh, whoosh, pew, pew, pew. <laughs> you know, I'm there. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, if you're a fan of traditional choreography, movies like this will drive you nuts. But, I mean, part of it, it's a fantasy milieu. People have extraordinary abilities, even more so than regular martial artists have. So mm-hmm. I think that's one uh, reason they can get away with it. And also, um, I mean, unlike today, where you've got major movies like Quantum of Solace or The Born Supremacy, where they take action scenes where they undoubtedly had enough coverage to edit them in a traditional way and just chop them up into bits. So there's just a lot of sound and fury. Mm-hmm. Here, I don't, with the time and budget, I think, probably didn't have enough time to cover everything so you're going to get some awkward cuts but i mean as long as it's energetic and fun and and fits into the fantasy world i i'm, I'm fine with it really oh yeah oh and 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 i was i never got um i never got a headache uh, when watching it which is very much true for you know for the likes of quantum of solace which are, are admittedly to to make you know it's not something that you should directly compare to wolf devil woman but i i got a headache when watching quantum of solace and turned it off after a while because it actually messed with my head in that regard. I can't take this. This is hurting me. <laughs> and uh, I didn't get the movie either. After half an hour, I was completely lost. But uh, that's another discussion. It, overall, I think the pace is really good. It's a fairly short movie, uh, below 90 minutes. But she keeps up the pace really, really well. And it only lags in the um, in the main comedy sequence, really. Again, the food the food binging, where she really uh, eats and eats and eats and eats and eats. Uh, Pearl was not funny. Uh, we, we can safely say that her, her, you know, ace upper sleeve wasn't her comedic skills. Well, it's funny. I was watching that scene and thinking, well, it wouldn't be a period martial arts film without a grubby character showing up at a restaurant, ordering a bunch of food they can't pay for, and then end up destroying the place yeah. <laughs> in the melee that breaks out inevitably. Yeah, but but but, but the turnaround is uh, quite fun, which it does transform. Uh, but um, yeah, but but uh, based on the evidence in Dark Lady of Kung Fu and this, I mean. Um, did you did, did you laugh or were you kind of annoyed at her uh, at her comedic stuff? Um, yeah, that scene goes on too long. She's not as endearing doing that sort of footage. I mean, I like the earlier scenes in her uh, really elaborate and unusual wolf den, where, mm-hmm. for example, she's, the hero is letting her chew on his hand, just like you would with a dog, right? When yeah. the dog's playing with you. I mean, she's more endearing than, in those scenes than in the more traditional and grating comedy scene in that in the end sequence. Yeah, mm-hmm. I, def- I definitely agree there. 
it, it's uh, and on that um, on that note in terms of that uh, set by the way her wolf then it's uh, it's not bad i mean uh, especially in widescreen they, it's a pretty big set that they had uh, had going for them there even if they only built two sets for the movie or redressed uh, the cave set into the demon <laughs> demon set it, it's pretty impressive looking um yeah pearl, pearl's films are filled, filled with a lot of really cold exterior scenes like they couldn't have been fun to shoot yeah, yeah, they shot uh, they they shot in uh, various uh, well in one location with snow that was seen to be at all times wherever they went uh, there there were no they were the first one making footprints in the snow they wanted to completely completely so to say uh, clean <laughs> clean snow locations if you will and uh, that looks great I mean uh, it's uh, I I'm weak for snow in period movies and fantasy movies uh, from Taiwan and Hong Kong I think snow does something to my uh, to my sensibilities, where I go, ooh. Mm. Uh, you know, e- even though it's not comparable to such, but you think the finale of uh, the Chinese boxer, mm, where yeah. it's uh, mildly snowy here and there, but it, it's cold, and it's a uh, pretty furious bash fight between uh, Wang Yu and uh, Lo Lit, and uh, I'm on board with that stuff. Yeah, I mean, it, it's a unique uh, backdrop for, for these films. I mean, usually, especially with the Hong Kong films in the 70s, they usually end with, up with two guys on a hill in the middle of nowhere beating the crap out of each other. So mm. it, it's really nice to have a, a location that's so cinematic by comparison oh, and interesting. Exactly. And, and uh, a few other elements I want to mention. Uh, the gore is welcome. Uh, it does increase the gore. Uh, various beheadings and, again, off-screen tearing men to pieces, powers as displayed by Snowflower. And uh, here is where Pearl kind of is engaged in a little bit of choreography, but nothing that makes you think, hmm, she might have been a martial artist after all. It's uh, She mostly uses her kind of a whip as a um, tether, kind of, and rips heads off that way, uh, yeah, which is all fun. I mean, I, I'm, I'm weak for that stuff. It has sprays and heads being detached, uh, dummy heads being detached. It's nothing extensive, but I'm on board with that stuff as well. <laughs> And one thing about Pearl, um, she's a beautiful woman, and, and she, as you said, she's not a martial artist, but she's not, she's not the usual petite, flowery, willowy uh, lead that you often get in these films, like, for example, um, Polly Shan Kuang or Chia Ling. Um, Pearl looks like she might be able to handle herself in a fight, uh, <laughs> like those ladies. Um, but uh, yeah, that, I think that's a part of her appeal, too, for some fans. Yeah, some some actresses from this uh, genre and era wouldn't fit in that flower vase role. I mean, I, I when you mentioned that, I thought of a Jimmy Wang Yu movie I saw recently, Deadly Silver Spear, mm. where Xu Feng from uh, from among other things, she she was in the Fate of Lee Khan, very like stoic and you know hard-nosed actress. You know, she played she never smiles in the Fate of Lee Khan, and Xu Feng here plays the flower vase role you know the the, the helpless you know blind uh, damsel in distress in deadly silver spear it's a great movie fun but that didn't fit at all you know she, that she couldn't really change her persona into you know the helpless persona because she has a more hard exterior Xu Feng is pretty as well but um that's that was a mistake and a half that one yeah, after seeing her in King Who films, you'd have a hard time buying her as a, a heroine needing to be saved. Exactly. Absolutely. But uh, Deadly Silver Spear has the uh, has the advantage of having uh, lots of cool, uh, uh, lots of cool uh, weaponry and traps, and uh, Wang Yu with a, a pretty pretty cool Silver Spear that can do a whole lot of things. So um, that's uh, that's always good with uh, these uh, Taiwanese movies as well. Uh, and on the finale, again, we won't spoil too much here, but. Uh, 
I was uh, I was delighted to still find surprises in there, especially the moment where the devil, uh, the devil uh, leader of the devil army, voodoo army, awakens his voodoo army or his zombie army. Essentially, I mean, it's full of colorful surprises as well. This movie, and that's not a bad thing when you can surprise all up until the ending. No, absolutely. And uh, even though the animation experience uh, uh, wasn't uh, very good. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, they, they had insane Taiwanese stuntmen uh, at this era, but maybe this production didn't have one that was willing to be set on fire. Oh, well, because this character's on fire for a long time, and he has a lot of dialogue, so yeah. I don't think... <laughs> I don't think I, yeah, you wouldn't be able to spit out all those lines in like 10 seconds, so no, I guess they had to go this route. Yeah. And but, he's, uh, a very, he's a very recognizable actor, too. So. Oh, absolutely. And uh, that's pretty much the end of my notes. Good to great fun, even though it uh, dips uh, in uh, pace and the steam a little bit. But uh, considering the pace and steam it dips from, the level it dips from, that's entirely forgivable. And uh, I, I, I can't get enough of this stuff when done right and with this much charm and energy and uh, and uh, whooshy noises to keep me up, uh, occupied. I, I turn into a kid, kind of, when it works for me, when the energy is right. And uh, Wolf Devil Woman in this Form. Again, I didn't like it pretty much not at all when watching the Ocean Shores version because the dubbing annoyed the hell out of me. And uh, that normally doesn't happen. But the Ocean Shores had something going on that I don't know what it was. But uh, IFD kind of saved this movie and uh, I'm sure it will play fine if you watch it in Mandarin as well. But uh, the, this, is my, this is my preferred version in widescreen and uh, dubbed by IFD. Yeah, as I mentioned, the, the Ocean Shores does have that extra few seconds of gore, which causes that scene to make more sense um the transfer on the ocean shores version is slightly brighter and slightly more colorful but mm -hmm. uh, overall wolf and ninja it, via this greek olympic video release is is the best that we have and maybe will, will be the best we ever have it's hard to say oh absolutely it, it's funny as a minor side point to this to these greek versions uh, this doesn't come from a cinema print like some other ifd or other widescreen versions of asian movies uh, do when released on uh, Greek home video, so it's um, but thankfully it was still widescreen, they, they still had this. Uh, regardless if it played in cinemas or not, they requested this, got this. I mean, it always boggles my mind, really. Uh, or I'm curious if the uh, purchasing process, if you will, if it was really detailed in that regard, if companies were clever enough in Greek, uh, Greece, rather, or Japan to really negotiate and firmly request that we want a widescreen source for this movie. Can well, we the, get that? The Japanese certainly did because of the number of, uh, especially Filmark uh, letterbox Japanese releases mm -hmm. that are available. Um, it, Greece is uneven. Uh, I used to think that there were no letterboxed Greek video releases because when you tried to watch Italian films on Greek video, they were always horribly cropped. So mm -hmm. I, I don't know if it was a, they just took what they were given or if they did specify and say, well, we prefer releasing martial arts films we want people to be able to tell what's going on so mm -hmm. give us give us widescreen well one minor drawback with the, the olympic releases like a lot of greek videos it has the uh, greek subtitles in black strips mm -hmm. but but because the movie's letterbox they don't intrude too much on the image so it's not a big deal on this film. oh absolutely not and uh, yeah it's uh, go get it if you can i'm sure it's uh, available out there if you can't buy it then uh, then definitely it, it, it's you you're you listeners who are new to this, you're kind of in luck now because a lot of the stuff you can get if you're willing to go with file share route. And uh, that's also kind of the only route for some of these movies. But uh, go back 10 years, 15 years, 20 years. I mean, it was, you, I'm, I'm sure you can relate to this. It was a 
sometimes a very much a fruitless hunt for any version of these kind of moves. Yeah, I'd be I'd be happy with a tenth generation, but where I could even barely see what was going on. If I think, yeah, well, at least I could finally see it. So yeah, I, I never would have imagined a day where I could just click a button and then either buy a movie or or download one that's out of print in just mm-hmm. a few hours. So yeah, it's a golden age, really. Yeah, and uh, that's that's for the first half of the show, if you will. Uh, there's actually three distinct parts, if you will, but the the main first main review is done and after a break we're gonna look at some female revenge rape revenge from taiwan as orchestrated by a woman behind the camera and that uh, movie is the lady avenger from 1981 so stick with us and we'll be right back Welcome back, and this time we are looking at The Lady Avenger from 1981, a female revenge movie. We've talked of this being a trend. I talked of it uh, during my Taiwan Black Movies review, and we kind of made mention of it when we discussed on the, on the Society File of Shanghai that in terms of its star, Liu Xiaofen, it led to appearing in genre vehicles rather than vehicles similar to on the society file of shanghai if anything it happened a bit later but uh, we'll talk of uh, her this time again and uh, and, uh, and the director so starting though a little bit about the version that we're watching uh, the original movie is called the lady avenger but it's mostly known as deadly darling and that's the ifd presented version of this uh, 1981 original they released it in 1985 as deadly darling and both director Yang Xiaoyun or Karen Yang Xiaoyun and star Liu Xiaofan, they are credited as uh, as Karen Yang and Fonda Lin, respectively, in IFD's all westernized, partly made up credits. Uh, they they stuck with Fonda Lin for Liu, Liu Xiaofan, and that's uh, that's kind of reassuring. You know what star to expect on screen. <laughs> <laughs> And uh, and, uh, Car- and Yang Xiaoyun received uh, possibly by IFD the English name of Karen, which is uh, which fits, you know, not 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 any silly like Stella Yang. I I, I apologize to anyone called Stella, but IFD's names in the movies, in the scripts, so to say, for the ninja stuff, they were all out silly. Uh, so yeah, what's the opening line from Ninja Commandos? You may all wonder where Rodney and Janet are. <laughs> I mean, come on. <laughs> It's well, great, think, it's fun, but come on. <laughs> well, I think actually um, her name in Cantonese would be Yung Kawan, so I guess Kawan would would be Karen in English, really. I guess that would be the closest mm-hmm. equivalent. So Clever. It makes sense. Uh, and uh, Godfrey Ho was, uh, again, possibly the production designer on this print. I didn't look if Godfrey Ho or Benny Ho appeared. They probably did, but uh, as the story by, written by, or the production designer. Uh, by the way, the reason I'm saying production designer all the time, I think I'm taking that from the Filmark movies, because Thomas Tang was always the production designer, which kind of makes sense. He designed this, kind of, you know. Oh, well, he redesigned it, that's for <laughs> exactly. sure. <laughs> but uh, they turn up, Karen and uh, Fonda, in the IFD catalog multiple times. So most notably in movies such as 
um, Pink Force Warriors, which was directed by Karen Yang. This was originally called Women Warriors of Kin Men, which is a movie I think you reviewed uh, on the, your old site, yeah? Yeah, I did. The Ocean Shores VCD. And the Pink Force Warriors uh, version I watched, uh, the IT version, uh, I thankfully got to watch the Japanese letterboxed version of that as well. Not, not the best movie, but... but um, Lucia Fan is in it, and uh, I think uh, Don Wong as well has a great poster mm, that yes. sig- signals an action movie, but it's kind of a training movie. <laughs> what, what it is. <laughs> uh, but um, also other movies in the IFD catalog, uh, Bai Yang, Breakout from Oppression, originally called Exposed to Danger, uh, which features a um, uh, finale, st- uh, finale act event ripped straight from the finale of Friday the 13th. <laughs> You can guess what if you know Friday the Thirteenth. Then there you go. Yeah. But it's not a slasher movie in that regard. It mixes elements, and it's a kind of, it's a good, it's a solid little um, thriller drama slasher movie, if you will. And it stars Ken's favorite actor, Alan Tam. He's better in these early Taiwanese movies, man. That's the thing <laughs> with Alan Tam. I'm not a- at all annoyed when seeing him in these early Taiwanese movies. I don't know why. Okay. I guess, uh, yeah, explain that. Uh, the sheer logic is uh, lost to me as well, but uh, it doesn't suck the, you know, the entire being of the movie inside of him <laughs> and locks it inside of him as in other movies. Okay, but that's just enough. me. Fair enough. That's, just, that's just me. Uh, other movies in the IFT catalog involving these two. Um, Luke Chiffon or Liu Chiffon turned up in Inferno Thunderbolt, which is a cut and paste movie starring Richard Harrison, but it used the 1982 movie The Anger as its source movie. It's not a ninja movie, it's one of those modern thrillers that Richard Harrison got to star in. And uh, subsequently, he looked because those movies offered up something different for him to do, even playing anti heroes, he woke the fuck up really quickly. Because he, in the ninja movies, I'm sure you can attest to this as well, John, he's not there. Most of the time, he's not there. Yeah, he looks a little sleepy. (laughs) Stoned and embarrassed and asleep. But uh, in Majestic Thunderbolt in particular, man, he he essentially plays a bad guy. And he looks, to me, in a way, like he's having fun. Or at least he's awake. Yeah, I mean, that was, I think he realized that was one story, uh, so he was a little more focused. I, I like Richard Harrison, but I don't buy for a second that he didn't know what was going on. With yeah, movies. exactly. It's a, it's a, it's, it's, it's a story that uh, we will uh, definitely go over in IFD on fire, but uh, I know for a fact that he's brought his own perspective, Richard, that uh, kind of makes you go, hmm. <laughs> but uh, regardless, that, that, that's, what he's, uh, that's what he's sticking with. Uh, Inferno of Thunderbolt is... Fairly good fun, not the best stuff, but uh, it's it's inspiring to see Richard uh, kind of uh, be being there, and also it's a movie that is for IF coming from IFD. If you didn't know IFD, it's you would think it's kind of one movie. The editing is pretty solid, rather than having multiple scenes of characters from the IFD stable talking to the other movie. They do edit it fairly well. The Anger, though, as a movie, the original movie, isn't Liu Xiaofan's best one, but I would love to see it. It's released, it was released on Ocean Shores, uh, possibly VHS and VCD, but never Laserdisc. So uh, I would love to see it that way, uh, if subbed, that is. Uh, going back to the Lady Avenger, it was further highlighted um, a few years ago on the festival circuit, as it screened at certain festivals anyway, in a rare original language version widescreen print, alongside the... Um, documentary Taiwan black movies uh, that as I said during episode one it focused during this it focused on this period of um, 
genre filmmaker from Taiwan from 1979 to 83 Seka and uh Lady Avenger director Yang Xiaoyong was interviewed, Liu Xiaofan was briefly interviewed, and uh, and uh, really if you look at it, it, there's not a whole lot of movies to compare to, but it's, it looks to be a, f- a pretty good poster ch- child, if you will, the Lady Avenger for this kind of, uh, this kind of genre, this female revenge trend in Taiwanese cinema, and certainly because its star is, you know, became such an icon, and uh, in my opinion she's she pretty much saved this saves this movie. I don't think anyone anyone else at the time would have elevated would have elevated the material. But uh, we'll 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 definitely get to that. Uh, we'll link to uh, episode one, obviously, where I re- review Taiwan black movies. So you can check that out in the uh, show post or click the Taiwan noir button on the right hand side of uh, on podcastonfire dot com. A few notes on on the director again, and with the help of uh, Sylvia Rohr and one of the hosts of. Uh, two-fisted podcast as we said and she also runs the blog Killer's Girl in Action Land uh, she looked up some and translated some Chinese only info that was out there so we, we got some uh, basic uh, bio, biographical info on the director Karen Yang Xiaoyun she was born in March 1947 and grew up with movies as a kid and uh, led to entering and graduating from Nash- the National Taiwan College of the Arts with a degree in theatre and subsequently, a summer internship allowed her to come in contact with movie productions, either uh, script supervising or working as a continuity person. And uh, she then, according to the translation, interned on the Chinese film Yade Guanjing uh, on the production team of that film. And she was subsequently promoted to official continuity person on, on multiple productions, she would say. And they gained really experience participating in these various aspects of filmmaking, editing, dubbing, and uh, what have you. And uh, worked herself up to assistant director and uh, debuted eventually in 1976 as main director on the movie Magic Ring, which sounds pretty much like a fantasy movie, but I've not seen or really looked into looked into the movie. But um, that's... Um, yeah, it says martial arts on the Hong Kong movie database, so there you go. It's, uh, I would have guessed swordplay fantasy, but uh, there you go. In 1979, she formed Sun or Sunshine Film Company with female writer Xuan uh, Xiaofu and released Morning Folk uh, under this uh, production banner. And in order to prevent kind of the stereotype of literally being a fe- female director, she, she you know, her purpose, anyway, was to try out different stuff, different subject matter, and it's definitely true for the Lady Avenger. Um, if you uh, if you want to draw a comparison, draw a comparison to that. But after 1981's the and the, this is a great title, the unsinkable Miss Calabash, <laughs> starring a young Sibel Hu. Uh, after that, draw ten uh, drew attention to uh, to itself. Apparently, um, good box office, good reviews, or what have you. I have not seen the movie. Uh, she was even encouraged to enter the Edinburgh Film Festival and. Uh, that year in 1981, she did uh, le- leave or disbanded some picture, uh, some pictures, and continued to work uh, elsewhere for other companies up until 1984, directing a handful of movies with Come to Know the IFD, as we explained, such as Breakout from Oppression or Exposed uh, to Danger. But uh, her kind of greatest acclaim, I guess, would come in the form of a um, in the form of being a director of a documentary. She won the best documentary at the 35th. Golden Horse Awards for directing the 88 documentary called A Secret Buried for 50 Years A Story of Taiwanese Comfort Women, Woman. And essentially that documentary lets us 
hear the voices of 14 elderly women survivors uh, really among the more than hundred or rather thousand women who were forced to become comfort women during World War II. And uh, she's also worked uh, extensively in uh, television, so pretty varied uh, career. Also, I, I asked Sylvia to see if there was any, even if slight, biographical info on uh, on lead uh, Liu Xiaofan. And uh, finally, there's more info to be had other than my fandom from as presented in episode two. So, so here we go. Uh, she was born in 1956 uh, in Taipei. And uh, in 1979, won a new singer competition on Taiwanese television. So I guess they wanted to incorporate her, albeit post-dubbed, uh, singing in on the on the society file of Shanghai because she has a she has a kind of a dance and a singing number in the singing number in that one. Uh, she was a frequent guest actor on TV shows subsequently, and, and still is actually. <laughs> I found a YouTube clip of her singing on some Taiwanese. Uh, I don't know if you want to call it a variety show or chat show, but um, um, she was interviewed also on stage uh, by by a host that many people were laughing at. So it seemed like they were entertained by by this uh, person. And his uh, female co-host brought out laser discs of Liu Xiaofan's movies, and they hmm. even had on the Society File of Shanghai to show the audience, which was fun. She seemingly remembered still. For for those movies, or remembered overall, and uh, I was just jealous when so when seeing that because I want one, <laughs> I need one. The the visa is fine for the on society on the society of Shanghai, but I, I want I want more. I yeah, want, uh, King who managed to get the laser disc? Yes, he that? refused to sell it to me. <laughs> Bastard. So, yes, uh, but. Um, uh, moving on, in 1980, uh, Liu signed with the Jung Sheng Film Company as an actress and debuted as a star in on the Society File of Shanghai that we discussed during episode two. And roles in female revenge, rape revenge, and genre movies followed as the this era uh, expanded and developed itself. And the uh, roles included some of the mentioned stuff: uh, The Lady Avenger, as we're discussing shortly, Exposed to Danger, Kill for Love. Which was released as an IFD cut and paste movie, official exterminator, Kill for Love. <laughs> so they didn't change it firmly; just added the official exterminator, which is a great uh, title and series, so to say. But uh, in 1983, she um, starred in uh, a movie called A Flower in the Rainy Night, which she won a Best Actress at the Golden Horse Awards for. So she didn't have to wait too many years to get some dramatic. Uh, turns uh, to sink her teeth into if you will because she's really good in her first movie but uh, it took a while for her to get those kind of roles again uh, i guess she's sort of like uh shu chi i mean she wasn't doing ab- absolute pornography like shu chi was but it, it's interesting that she's able to go from ex- where were blatantly exploitation films to uh high class dramas and distinguish herself in there over here i think it would be harder for an actress to make the transition that quickly mm-hmm. And uh, further acclaim after the 1983 movies came the uh, roles playing younger and older versions of herself in, in two movies, actually. Uh, Osman Fazali, which um, um, I, I saw at least eight or nine years ago. I remember loving it, but my memory is um, definitely vague. Uh, so I'm looking forward to rewatching that, knowing her now. But also, uh, she was in Anne Hoy's autobiographical drama, Song of the Exile, where she starred with, uh, co-starred with uh, Maggie Cheung. And even Chen Feng is in that movie. And uh, that's the movie where Wong Jing famously said at one point, who wants to see an autobiographical pic- 
picture of a fat woman about a fat woman <laughs> ouch but then again him and uh, Anne Hoy has uh, seemingly made up because he, he's backed several of her movies during the last uh, last few years and most notably the way we are which he uh, he didn't uh, want to credit on it but he backed that movie financially or was uh, or his production company uh, produced uh, the way we are so Time passed and they made up, I hope, anyway. But Viva La Wong Jing, kind of. Anyway, back to the Liu Xiaofan. She has retired from acting to focus on promoting aroma therapy products via her um, celebrity blog. She, she's actually the spokeswoman also for Ao9 Cosmetics. Uh, and she's very much in the public eye still, attaining promotions and events. So um, has not gone underground after marriage or what have you. Still wants to do something but uh, not acting necessarily and again thanks to Sylvia Roran for helping for helping translating some of these Chinese only bios on Yang and Liu and uh, check out her blog as I've linked to in the show post uh, but I'll, I'll it's on blogspot I think as well achillesgirl.blogspot.com and uh, check out the podcast where she's on now so we are moving into the movie and this is the plot from my review of the film uh, when actress Carol as named by IFT by the way uh, probably a different name on the on the Mandarin print, but uh, Carol is played by actor actress Xu Xiu Ning. When she can't bring her rapist, played by Wa Lung, to justice, she tries to get her revenge, but ends up dead under mysterious circumstances. The reason I'm saying that, I think it's a flaw of the movie. <laughs> we'll get to that. She just dies strangely. But uh, the character Wa Lung plays escapes conviction through money and influence over the media and and the one journalist fighting alongside carol for for justice and for morals if you will is wendy played by liu xiaofen who refuses to give up once the case is closed and she sadly though falls victim to rape herself by five men and she she's destroyed emotionally and abandoned by her fiance played by richard koi which uh, was in on the society file of shanghai as well and after all of that, there's only one course of action left. Revenge. <laughs> da, da, da. And uh, after after watching this IFD presented uh, edit uh, of uh, this uh, of the complete movie, I mean, it seemingly looks complete. P- possibly this trims to get it down to 90 minutes for, for sensor reasons or uh, what have you. And again, it was retitled Daddy Darling. I, I, I'm so fascinated by the fact that IFD had a lot of these Taiwan black movies and their their, their treatment weren't as we've said before only of the cut and paste kind I mean they decided it must have been a very conscious decision by someone to present three four five six of these movies complete and I mean someone must have seen the quality in these movies that they bought in probably a package deal rather than picking them out individually after having them screened but if so what, what a package deal that they got they, yeah. I, I, I don't know. I, I, it's just loose fear. What do you think? Do, do, do you think they saw qualities in them or they just present... I, I don't know. It doesn't make sense either. I mean, they must have seen something in these movies. Well, rape revenge movies are, are popular around the world and certainly exploitable. But, uh, I mean, we, we saw from the film that became Ninja Commandments that IFD could have turned anything into a ninja film. So they, yes. they could have found a way to put ninjas into this scenario, I'm sure. But I, I, I think they looked at it and thought it was a pretty solid film and that they could just send it out as is. Yeah, and I like that. I mean, it's a great decision. I mean, I, I think that decision kind of came with risks as well, especially when they knew they could bring in money via the cut and paste movies. Because again, in 1985, they had been doing the ninja stuff for a year or two, at least. 
and um, and Majestic Thunderbolt, I think, was the same year, nineteen eighty five. So they 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 were <laughs> they they knew their they, they knew their productions so say and what made money. So I'm, I'm glad to see these movies uh, intact. But they did reuse some of their some of their acquired material. For instance, uh, Girl with a Gun, the Taiwanese remake of Miss Forty Five. I refuse to call it a ripoff. I think it's a good remake. It <laughs> turned into a Fury in Red at IFD, complete, and uh, then later on turned into what is kind of a legendary movie amidst IFD aficionados because it's so hard to get a hold of. It turned into a cut and paste movie that was retitled in Germany to Crackdown Mission, starring uh, Pierre Kirby. <laughs> but uh, no one has seen it in English. Uh, but they, they reused uh, that plot of uh, the Taiwanese Miss 45, if you will, and turned it into sort of devil-worshipping plots. Really? Devil-worshipping? Yeah. Why are you even surprised? <laughs> <laughs> I, was, I was sitting there thinking, how the hell could they fit Pierre Kirby into that scenario? And now you're telling me that... You can't fit de- Pierre Kirby into anything, man. <laughs> Pierre Kirby and devil-worshipping in the same film. And Miss 45 mixed in with that. God damn it! Somebody needs to fan sub that German version. Yeah, exactly. I have actually. I've, I have the version dubbed in German. I have not scanned through it yet because uh, my, my German is incredibly poor. But um, I don't know. I'm still kind of, as you said, waiting for someone to to go the lengths of uh, translating that. But uh, we'll see. Uh, so on to the review of the mil- of the movie. And uh, John, brief opinion first uh, of the Lady Avenger or Deadly Darling, however you want, however you want to reference it as. Well, Deadly Darling actually got a U.S. video release. Uh, there was a company called Unicorn Video, and they bought an early package of IFD stuff. It was mostly the Korean uh, kung fu films. Mm-hmm. I think Deadly Darling was the only non-martial arts title they put out. It had a really distinct cover. It had a drawing of um, Lu Xiaofan pointing a rifle right at you. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that really stood out on video store shelves. <clears throat> it was a hard film to get in a proper version, though. There was some kind of weird duplication error, so a lot of the copies of Deadly Darling had a really fuzzy and distorted picture. So if you wanted to add it to your collection, you'd have to go through a few tapes to find one that wasn't all screwed up. Huh. So that was a, a bit of a, a rare thing for tape collectors around here who are really into uh, Chinese films. I think... Um, Karen Yang talks about the film in Taiwan Black Movies. She mentioned that uh, in the wake of the success of On the Society File of Shanghai, Lu Xiaofan was a really hot commodity, and she was basically told, okay, here's Lu Xiaofan, and here's a release date, and you just give us a movie (laughs) where she (laughs) looks sexy and does things that will sell tickets. So um, apparently this film was, from conception to theaters, was the the total duration, I think, was a month. Mm Mm-hmm. And when you take that under consideration, I mean, there are a lot of Hong Kong and Taiwanese films made in that time frame, but th- this one's pretty elaborate. There's quite a few locations here, and there, there are sequences that um, obviously couldn't have been shot really quickly. Uh, there's, a, there's a rape sequence um, set in, a, was it an underground parking lot or a construction Yeah, like a construction site, I think, yeah. Yeah, there's a good number of setups and, and some fairly elaborate camera work in it, so they must have been working really long hours to get this movie done. As you mentioned, there are some plot problems which we'll get to, but I think overall um, it's pretty good, really. Mm-hmm. It's, it, I mean, it's not as good as Fury and Red, which... Yeah, yeah, I guess I, right there, yeah. I don't, as, I'm not as charitable as you are, but I think it is a complete rip-off of Abel Ferrara's Ms. 45, yeah. but it is still a pretty solid film in its own right. But um, I, I think this, if you're a Lu Xiaofan fan you should definitely see it and i think as these movies go it's it's not graphic in the least um mm. certain, certainly not compared to hong kong equivalents uh like a certain film that you have discussed at length on on another show um but uh no i think it's pretty good there are there are evidence 
evident moments where the rush schedule is apparent. There's a scene near the very beginning where the first girl, um, she's a model, she's upset, she storms off this set, which is out in the middle of nowhere, and she hitchhikes, and as she's getting into the car, her hat blows off, and you see the hat blow down the road and then off a, uh, a cliff. So obviously the ta- the uh, director had to go with that take because they no longer had the hat. <laughs> it just yeah, yeah, they away. dubbed that in as well. At least IFT dubbed that in. Oh, my hat! <laughs> yeah, my hat, come back. Um, but, and, and I just had to laugh. I mean, this girl, I, she's not meant to be very smart anyway. But, I mean, if you're hitchhiking, you're a beautiful girl, would you get in a car with a stranger and start changing your clothes in front of them? Yeah, it's a kind of a main argument of uh, of the film, actually. The, uh, the, the kind of, you know, it attempts social commentary. And it's, it's, it's a kind of valid, but it's way, I mean, overall like it, I should say. But it's way too explicit and unsubtle what this movie is about you know it really spells it out for you but but it works so much better when it echoes the genre it belongs to rape revenge and works so much better when hinging a lot on the iconic status of of Liu Xiaofan and it's it's so effective because she is iconic and she is very game as well so I mean once you get past the fact that you know he's wealthy you can't convict him and that court case that eventually that uh, this initial rape leads to i mean I, I don't think it's realistic for one bit it's merely done to propel the story which is fine but it's it's so explicit like what everybody thinks and everybody thinks also which is something that turned my stomach thinks horrible things about why she deserved to uh to, to be raped. I mean, uh, Liu Xiaofan's uh, fiance uh, essentially, you know, says that he does say that it was probably not very smart to get into a car and start changing, uh, changing your clothes. But like the fucking argument about well, she's in sexy commercials, so therefore men get turned on by that. Yeah, That's horrible I... stuff and not very, very sharp social commentary. But I guess there's a hint of validness there. But I didn't care for it really, to be honest. Yeah, it, it's funny that the lead into that. Um, I've seen, I can't give you a title off the top of my head, but I've certainly seen movies where the rapist is rich and he can obviously hire the best legal defense. So we get that in this film. Mm-hmm. And his lawyer turns out to be a white guy, and I'm sitting there thinking, how many Caucasians were practicing law in Taiwan in 1981? <laughs> then we re- we find out a few scenes later that the film is actually set in Hong Kong. So Indeed, it's another yeah. another case where the uh, production company is avoiding possible problems with. Taiwanese censors by setting it in Hong Kong and therefore not reflecting badly on Taiwanese society. So yeah, maybe no. maybe in Taiwan, men aren't quite the pigs that they are in Hong Kong. Who knows? It, it, it's quite cartoony, though. It's been that in tons of Asian movies and otherwise, where uh, cartoony in the way where they uh, how quickly they turn into rapists in these movies, which is horrible. Yeah. Rape is not a la- laughing matter, but it, it, they turn quickly into rapists and turn into animals quite quickly, into cartoony animals, which often though still makes scenes horrible but it's um, it does become kind of laughable and but uh, overall Karen Yang though gets that out of the way like 20 30 minutes in and we realize after a while that the focus is not on the Carol character it's on the Yu Xiaofan and the, uh, that twist that is actually her revenge that is the focus is um, certainly not super expected um, and um, mm. And and when, you know, hinging a lot on her, I said, but, you know, talk about 
her responding to that. I mean, she's so sexy and iconic looking. In, you know, she's in her prime, even if this isn't dramatic material like she excelled at in her debut movie. I mean, it's it, it. If you really want to break it down, it's really shallow the way they play with her image, image in this movie because she has, you know, often red lipstick. She has a shower scene. She has no bra on in, in certain scenes. You know, there's cleavage all over the place. You know. And it seems like such a huge downstep for her, but she's so strong and so iconic, and so you know you remember from the from, from this movie as you know as someone who really wants revenge, you know, and 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 and, and that uh, shot of her with the gun is sort of one of the best uh, best iconic moments of of hers, you know. Right. I'm glad you mentioned the uh, lack of bra, not not just for the visual of that, but uh, the fact that uh, I mean, a woman directed this film, but you've got a rape victim who certainly after being violated by five men is walking around in a sheer top with no bra and I just thought I don't think that would be the way she'd be dressing (laughs) or that I know she went and got drunk I don't think she'd be hanging out in a bar where there'd be men who would be hitting on her all the time so there's a slight problem with the plot in that regard there too that represents a kind of bad touch by a woman but a good touch and hopefully this is maybe not a woman's touch but a smart filmmaker's touch Uh, I actually like the fact that it wasn't explicit this movie as such it is gory more than um, featuring nudity it features almost nudity for Liu Xiaofen in the shower scene uh, where she washes herself off after after being violated but you know looking at that opening opening chase and uh, and uh, a rape scene on the beach with uh, Walu and, and woman. It, it doesn't go on long, and, and I think what works here for me anyway is Yang establishes horror without lingering on the act because she's put under water, dirty water, and she has her clothes ripped up, and she's pushed down in, on that muddy little beach, you know. And uh, and and then the movie is uh, movie essentially cuts away from that, and I think it worked. I mean, I can be behind extensive scenes of of rape if you will that leads to extensive horrible revenge you know and gory revenge i can sometimes that makes sense to me but i like this choice here that that restrained choice you know what i mean mm-hmm. i assume she knew i mean she she'd made films before I, I i knew i assume she knew that what she could get away with in terms of taiwanese censors uh mm-hmm. whether she would have made it more explicit if she could have i don't know mm. case, i mean did you feel like the effect was still there i mean uh, we I don't know how much you are affected by this kind of stuff, but you know, did you feel that she still got the effect through? She communicated that. Yeah, because of the prolonged scene in the uh, the parking garage where she's attacked by the five men, it goes on. The uh, the screaming and the degradation is, it, as you said, it's not explicit, but it's still very unpleasant. So you feel mm-hmm. for Lushafan and you you hate these bastards. So I mean, it it certainly doesn't approach Red to kill in terms of explicitness, but mm-hmm. I, I think she does convey what she needs to convey, and uh, that gets us on her side. Yeah, and even pre, uh, they already in the uh, in the process of uh, raping someone, uh, another girl that they picked up, these drunks, these cartoony drunks, and they they pour alcohol on her and take her clothes off. You know, it's really degrading stuff, and therefore really affecting too. It, it, I, I certainly didn't miss. No, not that I needed to have a rape scene involving nudity, a, a, a rape scene allies spit in your grave or what have you. No, no, it's de- degrading enough and effective enough. And uh, I, I think that setting, that bottom floor of the construction site is really effective. I think the same setting of actually the same location is used in Devil Returns, 
uh, horror movie with Alan Tam. There's an opening murder, really horrible opening murder, where the main character has her head bashed into the ground like several times, and there's blood everywhere, and she survives it as well. And that uh, sets off the kind of omen Rosemary's Baby ripoff that that movie is. <laughs> but it's great, actually, like Devil Returns a lot. Mm, I haven't and, seen uh, that one. It's good, very good. Uh, we'll, we'll probably get to that at some point in this series. And I mean, I mean, the, the, that scene goes on for long, as you said, but the, there's no footage of the actual rape. I mean, the, there's more, more chase stuff and more degrading stuff like using her as a skipping rope. Yeah. And uh, as fun as that sounds, and uh, they are you know, giddy and jumping around like cartoony characters, it's not. It's, uh, it's pretty unpleasant to watch, actually. No, it, I mean, some of these movies encourage the men watching to identify with the rapist, but you don't get that impression at all watching this film. No, I, I certainly didn't. No, and uh, and you have to plow through some uh, some over the top melodramatic acting uh, before the various re- excellent revenge scenarios occur. I mean, for it, as bad as the melodramatic acting is, it's actually horrible. The the choice uh, Richard Coy's character uh, takes uh, or makes when when he encouraged you know, his fiance to say, what is it, what is it, why are you so you know, distressed? I was raped, oh my god! How what? horrible you are, essentially, you know? He, yeah, I love, he I love rejects you... us, and he, he rejects her, you know? Yeah, he says, why didn't you stop it? <laughs> she just told you she was raped by five men. Wow. Yeah, I, I, I mean, I'm sure there are men like that. Yeah. Uh, looking at the movie now, I don't know if it's a cultural thing or if it was just a, a screenplay thing to have him be so such an insensitive asshole yeah. as he is. Um, but yeah, I mean, I mean it, it's it's definitely by intent, and uh, I I didn't mind that. I mean, I, I rather mind of a direction that uh, that Liu Xiaofan goes to when she you know throws herself on the wall. You know, I was raped, and it it it's too much. But uh, it's not like. Thankfully, that's over, and we can get to, to the revenge parts. Obviously, that that stuff needs to be there in order to, for us to get into to, to the various three, four, four, five revenge scenarios. But uh, it's definitely the second half that works better when she starts stalking all of these characters and being very efficient at violence. Very efficient at mm-hmm. violence. Yeah. <laughs> at violence. <laughs> uh, realistic or not, I don't know. But uh, we're still on board with the fact that she's very she's a master planner. Well, I mean, she's bright. She's a, a leading newspaper reporter. I mean, she's she's certainly dedicated. She knows what she wants. So yeah, it's, she's not going to be half-assed about it. And and she can and she sends uh, either body parts or uh, meat, uh, little packages to the next victim she's after. <laughs> yeah, she wasn't at that meat packing plant long, but she took some stuff home with her apparently. Yeah. And. Uh, the, the reason I'm bringing in like realism and stuff because I I, I agree. She, I mean, she is a researcher and a, and a reporter, and therefore she can probably you know for research purposes say that I want to work a day at this uh, meatpacking plant or slaughterhouse, if you will. But for movie purposes, they they do stage some convenient stuff, obviously, which I don't mind. For instance, after she's killed the man with uh, with a meat hook. And then she, at some point, hangs him up on the conveyor belt for his girlfriend to find. And that's just stuff that's stage for effect, obviously. But I I thought that was really, really effective because now the movie is playing with, uh, you know, no restraint whatsoever. It go, it's going to turn pretty gory. Uh, before it wasn't graphic, now it's graphic. Uh, the piercing of uh, him with uh, the meat hook is pretty badass, actually. Mm-hmm. 
but you, you don't get taken out of that stuff when it's conveniently staged, that kind of stuff, as I explained with the, him on the conveyor belts. Um, no, because as you said, it leads to an effective moment. And it, we also begin to sort of question how much we identify with her. I mean, if she's this crazy and psychotic that she's not going to, not only going to kill this guy, but also going to hang him up like a slab of meat that he mm. actually is, but <laughs> fair <Yeah>. enough. <laughs> but that she actually is actually going to do that. I mean, it's it sort of, as a viewer, you sit there thinking, well, okay, who should I be loyal to here? So, so that's good. I mean, usually these movies don't have you thinking at all. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you go with the scenario, not the reality, which you should sometimes, you know. Yeah. And uh, and revenge is uh, primal too. I mean, uh, like the uh, scene after that, uh, the um, the murder at the construction site at the top of the building. Uh, she uh, she burns this uh, guy in the face with a like a like a little blowtorch. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, it all bets are off now. Now it's sadism, and uh, and. And, and as I said, body parts are sent to subsequent victims and stuff like that. So. Yeah, that, that, that guy not only gets blowtorched in the face, but he gets hung up on a, a just a piece of rope and hung what, several hundred feet up and then dropped. That, that's a great stud. I mean, it, there may have been a piece of steel hiding behind that rope uh, holding that guy, but he was mm-hmm. up there really high. And oh, I, yeah. I hate heights. So, man, watching that, I just fell for that poor stunt guy. And, and in the midst of this, you realize that you can't really take your eyes off her. I mean, she has fury and presence and can convey as we know already from the first movie drama as well you know they, she no, no wonder she, uh, people wanted her in their movie and now you know without the script or anything or without the huge you know time uh, uh, time span production time span you know even one of the edit uh, an editor in Taiwan black movies is talking about the fact that they were all lined up to have their movie edited and then gangsters came in and essentially said you're gonna edit our movie first, right? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, I don't know if her movies were s- subject to that kind of uh, blackmailing, if you will. But uh, I, I don't know. I, it's the reason I've fallen so hard for her. It's kind of through movies like this, uh, because she, she is a great actress. But I, I mean, the fury and also the vul- vulnerability. The, you know the different choices just work she she's game and she responds very well especially during this production to respond well to such a rush a rushed production schedule is pretty strong and I, I guess obviously that has to do with Karen Yang's direction as well yeah and she was obviously expected to do a lot of her own stunts I mean there's a scene where a character gets hit by a car so I, I think we can safely say that wasn't her but it, yeah. it really did seem to be Lucia Fenn in, in every other case where she's getting tossed around and brutalized um, she's in there doing it herself which mm-hmm. certainly helps uh, we'll 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 talk a little specifically about a sequence that is um, kind of confusing. I, I should briefly say one sequence is really confusing first. Then then we'll get into this one that we um, uh, the katana murder that isn't in the film. But the 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 first one that kind of doesn't make sense is the character of Carol that dies uh, after the court case uh, doesn't go well and she attacks Walloon's character. She apparently committed suicide that's what they said say in passing but uh, she is found dead at a cliff in different clothes compared to the scene before and they never explained that that's kind of one of three kind of errors in the film uh one occurs that we're going to talk about now one occurs at the end so the katana murder sequence that isn't in the film do you want to talk about uh about that john <laughs> Yeah, watching Taiwan black movies, there's uh, when Karen Yang is discussing the Lady Avenger, there's a, a long clip of Lu Xiaofan where she's uh, 
chasing one of her rapists. She grabs the katana off the wall, uh, chases this guy down a hall, and runs him through with it. Uh, blood splatters on the wall and in her face. And there's a shot where this, she's just holding the sword, and this guy's just impaled dead on it. And mm-hmm. it's, it's a really effective moment. But unfortunately, when you watch uh, this version and apparently the Taiwanese video re- release, what happens was she confronts the guy with the sword, but another character appears, and the guy is able to escape. And it's... I assume two versions were shot because they're worried about possible problems with the Taiwanese censor, and mm-hmm. because the, the schedule was so tight, and they had to get the films in by in the in theaters by a certain time, they played it safe and shot two versions. Now, why the uncut version would be in the 35 millimeter print that was shown in Taiwan black movies, but not in the IFD version, I have no idea. Because because obviously IFD didn't cut it because there's an alternate resolution to the scene. So. Mm-hmm. Two versions were prepared, and unfortunately, we got the far less effective version. Yeah, and even the, the still of the still of that you were explaining, it's in the uh, opening yep. credits in the IFD version. You can see that still, right? And uh, that possibly was the IFD's own montage, because uh, they usually did that. Their own credits, then they put together some montage of uh, of stuff from the film. Uh, yeah, it, it's it's strange. Uh, far more effective the way it plays out in the uh, in the documentary because. As it is now, she essentially has to let that guy go without much of a struggle. It, it's not like the guy... She runs towards him in the original scene. It's not like the, the character that you're talking about runs in the middle of it and says, Stop! 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 It just... It's cut. He stumbles down some stairs because he's cut... Uh, uh, stabbed by her earlier in the scene. And then it's all over, kind of. It seems like, huh, why did you stop? Yeah. Like, <laughs> but uh, I I don't mind it. You just go, huh, okay, let's go on. See, see if there's another cool little murder sequence uh, up ahead. And uh, obviously the, the scene where she shoots the guy out in the woods is probably the best scene in terms of what she wears with the headband. <laughs> and uh, she's a sexy hunter, man. Yeah, you'd mentioned I Spit on Your Grave, and I de- detected a very I Spit on Your Grave vibe to that scene, because it not only takes place in the woods, but the guy she kills is stutters, so he reminds you of the uh, mentally handicapped guy in I Spit on Your Grave. So mm. I, d- I don't know whether Karen Yang saw that film or not, but um, there, I, I couldn't help but think of that film during that, that one particular scene. It's actually possibly a cut here as well. In the trailer, definitely the trailer, as shown briefly in Taiwan Black Movies, uh, there you... Uh, you see that he shot it actually ends on a still frame but they cut away to a blood splat of some kind and he falls to the ground but there there are three different shots Uh, the still frame the blood splatting splatting on the ground or on a wall or something and him falling dead to the ground Mm -hmm. but but that that is from the trailer so I mean we've seen that before where trailers are are uncut in uh, certain scenes, but uh, the actual finished product uh, don't have that, those kind of snippets. But uh, that doesn't really matter because we get the complete scene. It's very clear that she shoots him in cold blood as well. And uh, right. uh, there's no sympathetic rapist character like in other movies like Lost House on the Left, you know, where one isn't in on it and kind of helps the victim. It, uh, you would think that would be the guy. Uh, look, looking at how. He looks and he stutters. He has glasses, kind of more nerdy, but they, they don't portray anyone in a, you know, you know, you know, good light, if you will. Mm, no. Uh, spoilers now, because I want to speak up one minor thing, and it's a very minor, uh, quick mention of it. Uh, 
there's a very loose end towards the film <laughs> a very very loose end and uh, i'll let you explain that as you did the pre-chat as well okay well in a country like taiwan where there was martial law it you clearly were not going to get away with having a character commit a bunch of murders and walk away free at the end. So watching this film, it was inevitable that she was going to be arrested and go to jail probably for the rest of her life. But the way the film ends now, um, we don't find out what happens to uh, Walan's character. I mean, they're both arrested. Now, did he get away? Did he buy his way out of it like he has in the past? Or was he convicted as well? We only find out that she goes to jail, which is very unsatisfying. (laughs) She's gone through all this. She's killed a few rapists. But the main miscreant apparently is going to be able to continue on and just do the things he was doing. A a, a little voiceover would have helped. (laughs) Like a PS at the end, you know. But uh, nope, I lost no. (laughs) Yeah, it reminded me a bit of... uh, not to get too far off topic, but there's a uh, Jack Hill film called The Big Dollhouse, which ends with one of the girls escaping from the Philippine, or not, sorry, it's not the Philippine, but the uh, jungle uh, republic she's in. Uh, the, their soldiers slaughter all the other girls. This girl escapes, and she gets picked up hitchhiking, and the guy who picks her up is played by the director, Jack Hill, and you assume, okay, they're gonna, he's going to take her to safety. But there's a really cheesy voiceover where he says, well, sorry, I have to take you back to prison now. Yeah. <laughs> and it's, just, it, it's the sort of thing that, unfortunately, exploitation uh, distributors had to do in certain countries to satisfy the censors. Uh, Bill Lustig's uh, Vigilante, uh, he mentioned on the commentary for that film, that when the film played in the Philippines, they had to add a scrawl saying that Robert Forster's character was caught, convicted, and spent the rest of his life in jail. Yeah. So, unfortunately, that, that's, that does seem to be what happened with this film. A minor trivia note about uh, the very end shot where she's led into her prison cell or um, she's walking in the corridor of the prison. Uh, that footage turns up in Exposed to Danger. Uh, oh, it does. Uh, A.K.A. Breakout from Oppression. That, would, that was also directed by uh, Yang Shaiyun because she, she's a former convict in that one. It's not a sequel, but uh, she's a former convict and that was just footage that fit the purpose. Really. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, and, and it works. I mean, you, you don't notice it as such, as such unless you have seen, obviously, the movies, but it's not like it's jarring because it looks way, way, way different. It's just, huh. So, there you go. <laughs> viewers of both movies will notice but it's very neutral footage as well uh, so um, it's not like you get a shot of her with the katana or anything put into breakout from oppression <laughs> so it's not very it's not very movie connected so we'll 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 definitely get to expose the danger a movie i quite quite enjoyed and uh, it's a good um, a good collaboration between the females again if you will uh but uh and and, and really not a you know ooh, this is directed by a female type of movie you know it, it is genre movie and she did well uh, all the stuff I've seen Karen do she she did very well and uh, this is probably the best one uh, that I've seen so uh, just to reiterate what I said I mean we've dis- discussed the drawbacks of the film but I think it's still worth taking a look at and if you want you're put off by the uh, just how explicit and degrading some of these films can be this film is unpleasant enough to convey the dramatic intent without being overly graphic so mm-hmm. this is a good one to try if you're interested in sort of dipping your toe into this genre yeah i'd agree definitely agree and if you can find the widescreen version that we watched it's um it's it's a bonus uh, definitely a bonus yeah that's another case where the japanese got a better version than we did and they and it looks so goddamn good as well. I mean, they not only got uh, the widescreen print, they got a good-looking widescreen print as well. I mean, this movie is not going to appear this colorful anytime soon, and uh, it just looks good, good, good. And uh, and Japanese were famous for that. They're putting out good quality 
products uh, from from an audiovisual standpoint as well. So uh, I'm glad to um, I'm glad to have access to that one. Uh, alrighty, we are not done. We have some uh, some uh, movies left to speak of in last Taiwanese movies watched. Some uh, some kind of fun stuff as well in there, but uh, not uh, of uh, well well well. There's fantasy in there, but I I don't think anyway any rape revenge. So uh, <laughs> nothing uh, not in terms of the movie I picked anyway. So we'll uh, talk about that after a little break. There actually is rape in the one I'm covering. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Go. Do you know why I'm killing you? You and your three friends raped a girl. Well, that girl was me. It was me. You destroyed me. And now I'm going to destroy you. That's just That's what you deserve. Are you scared now? Welcome back, and as always, we end these things with a little last Taiwanese movies watched, where we can find any old crap in our pile, I guess, to showcase, just as long as it's kind of Taiwan. If you can kind of identify it as Taiwan, we we, we spoke of it last episode, that it's not easy sometimes because there are co-productions and stuff like that. Uh, but if you get a sort of feeling that this is vaguely Taiwanese anyway, you're welcome to bring it to this segment. So what did you bring to the segment, John? Well, I don't like taking the easy way out. So rather than just grabbing something that I know is Taiwanese, I just picked a film called Evil Hits Evil. I mean, that's, and watching it, I knew it was Taiwanese just by looking at the cast. But upon viewing it, I found out it's actually a Taiwanese-Korean co-production. Ooh. And if anyone can write in and give us some more information about this, I'd, I'd love to find out more. Because um, the print I saw was a uh, full-screen version that uh, the guys at uh, Flash Lakes had got their hands on, and they added English subtitles to it. But the print, uh, the credits are entirely in Korean, while the dialogue is in Mandarin. So I don't know if they did a composite there and got the Mandarin track from another source and stuck it on. But uh-huh. uh, the English credits they added said the film was directed by a guy named, get this, Lucifer Lai Weixiang. Sweet. <laughs> I've seen a credit for Lucifer on an IFD movie. Uh, really? It's probably not connected, but it was a movie called Desperate Desperados, uh, a cop movie, kind of, uh, complete movie. And the, t- the credit they made up lo- was Lucifer Lie as well. Uh, so. <laughs> so, okay, I guess maybe this guy exists because I thought maybe, okay, may- I couldn't find anything for Lai Wei Xiang. So I thought, okay, maybe is that the Taiwan, the Mandarin equivalent of a Korean name? I don't know. <laughs> uh, another source said that the film was directed by Peng Gong, who is a very familiar figure in uh, Taiwanese martial arts films of this period. But the flashlights credits uh, just say that he was the action director on this. So mm. I don't know. I'd love to find out who directed this. So if anybody can write in, please let us know. So anyway, this is a period horror film with martial arts. Um, it stars Lao Takhoi, who plays a young villager. And one evening he's possessed by the spirit of Kwan Yong Moon. Um, he's a very familiar martial artist in old school uh, kung fu films. Um, mm-hmm. Fans like to call him the Mad Korean. Yeah, it's a great phase, I remember. Mm-hmm. Um, this possession is a little different from what you see in other films because it sort of comes and goes I mean he's fine sometimes and then other times he's just uh, a wild demonic uh, character but anyway the evil influences him in him starts to affect the village uh, so we get all kinds of weird things happening like um, one poor guy is out uh, one night taking a leak and all of a sudden his pee just flies up and hits him in the face <laughs> so he's convinced that there must be ghosts afoot because how else would that happen <laughs> 
Uh, meanwhile, a, g- a gang of murderous brigands, which include a, a muscle-bound guy with a mohawk and a stereotypical gay guy of the sort that you always find in movies of this period, they're torturing and murdering citizens who have not been paying tribute fees to a local tyrant who's played by Chen Seng. Mm. Um, so uh, a Taoist priest played by Robert Tai, who's directed many crazy martial arts films himself, he shows up and he informs Lao that he's been possessed by the spirit of Quan. And what happened was Quan, we find out, was murdered by Chen because he was lusting after Chen's uh, really virtuous daughter, who's played by uh, Doris Lung Chanar, who, if you watch Taiwanese martial arts films, you'll certainly remember her. She's very cute. She's been in a number of films, including Master of the Flying Guillotine. The ghost uh, not only can possess Lao, but he can revive the bodies of people he's murdered. So he uses these supernaturally strong corpses to attack uh, some people. Um, Tai eventually decides to face the monster and um during the martial arts scenes uh kwan manifests himself so it's actually kwan and robert tai fighting so we get the usual kung fu uh spiritual martial arts with things flying around on their own and people tossing themselves against walls and through furnitures <laughs> um so tai doesn't survive this particular fight so chen Singh is reduced to using the other martial artist or excuse me the other taoist in town who we know immediately is an idiot because he's got a red nose and dots on his face <laughs> <laughs> the tradition of these films. So, of course, he's no help, but we get a third exorcist showing up, and she's a woman, and I think this actress is Korean because I'd never seen her before, and I couldn't find anything on her, but she's got a, the wildest haircut I've ever seen on a woman in a film. She's got, like, a partial mohawk, shaved on the sides. Um, she seems to have some martial arts ability, so I'd love to find out more about her. So she's going to take on the, the spirit, but in the meantime, the, the Kwan's spirit, he was in love with her while he in love with Doris Lung while he was alive, but apparently now that he's a demon, he's lost all sense of compassion because he attacks and rapes her at one, one point. And it's sort of like that American film, The Entity, where um, Doris Lung is having to toss herself around and parts of her clothes get ripped off. And It's not explicit, but it certainly gets the point across. Hmm. Uh, but then there's a final battle with the female exorcist taking on Quan, and I, I don't know if this film was intended to be more than one part, if it was cut down from a longer version, because it just it ends inconclusively. <laughs> <laughs> I guess the, the card that pops up says, well, to be continued or something, because there's no conclusive end to this film. It all went to jail. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so, I mean, it's, it's not all that satisfying on a narrative level, and it won't make you forget something like The Dead and the Deadly, but um, I had a good time with it. It moves along pretty well. There, there's unfortunately some comedy relief that's a bit grating, but it doesn't uh, happen for too long. So, and it, oh, it's, it, if you like uh, picking out stolen music, it's got cues from uh, Goblin score for Dawn of the Dead, and mm-hmm. uh, they use a lot of Tangerine Dream score from uh, Sorcerer, which works really well in this sort of milieu. <laughs> so I had a good time with them. Yeah, that that genre mashup of horror and martial arts is uh, pretty much something that I would sit down in front of, uh, you know, at any time. I mean, obviously, Encounter of the Spooky Kind, but uh, also stuff like Phantom Killer, Stanley Fung's uh, Phantom Killer that he did for Golden Harvest. Mm, I haven't uh, seen that. Really good, um, you know, you, you never knew Stanley Fung. No, normally, you don't uh, associate Stanley Fung with uh, directing, obviously, but he, he did a few movies. Uh, Phantom Killer is good. Good fun out on uh, Joy Sales, both VCD and DVD, I think, if you can still find it. And it was a Golden Harvest movie, uh, uh, Wei Pei, uh, or, or Wei Pak, rather, was in it, one of the Venoms, uh, Lost Heart of Chivalry as well. So is that a mostly serious film? Uh, yeah, pretty much. Uh, and it works, too. Uh, actually, uh, quite uh, quite uh, solid and atmospheric. Uh, it doesn't uh, 
go the take the easy route out or anything like that so i recommend the phantom killer it's a uh, but it's probably more a hong kong movie so you can't do it for this one okay. <laughs> for this <show. laughs> all right well I'll check it out uh, so uh evil evil hits evil sounds um you know if i saw that title and could watch it uh, if it had a dub or subtitles you know i i'd gladly take it on uh, it sounds uh, like uh, easily digestible if you want to say fun you know hmm. Uh, but uh, alrighty, uh, what I watched, uh, you know, if you see this title and know what what its intent is and what it's going to do, you must watch it. Obviously, you must, must, must. And it's a movie called The 3D Army from 1989, and it's a hopping vampire movie shot in 3D, essentially, from Taiwan. Um, and, uh, you know... They jumped on the Mr. Vampire bandwagon early on in Taiwan. There's a series called the Hello Dracula movies that was first produced in 1985, starring a child actor, an actress rather. So they probably did a crap load of these as well. But in 1989, a new Seven Dragon Ball director, Chan Jun Lung, headed this blend that was also shot in 3D. And I did it exactly, I did it want to beforehand definitely say that it was because maybe the title is only only call call that you know for to be noticeable but it's definitely shot in 3d i mean there's a telltale signs already the title actually comes at you and there's a uh, coffin lids are coming at you in various scenes and uh it was definitely done in 3d and uh, it's, yeah. it's better though when there are physical stuff being done in 3d rather than if you watch like uh, what was it drive angry the Nick Cage movie, where the 3D elements are mostly CG elements, and that just looks more crap. But here, there's physical elements that were meant to be 3D, kind of, <laughs> to enhance the experience. Uh, I fall for that a lot more, but uh, the, the video version uh, floating around is uh, regular 2D, uh, expectedly. And, and lastly, this vehicle is for kids, and with kids. Uh, and of a fairly low-budget kind that we expect even from Hong Kong. Uh, a few years in of the movie kickstarts the genre, you know, even the Lam Xing Ying movies, uh, the Hopping Vampire movies turned a bit stale after a while. So, But we mostly follow this trio of kids, uh, I think anyway, the plot is quite vague. They befriend a fox spirit, a kid fox spirit, and a hopping vampire that is called Zombie in the subtitles and eventually he's nicknamed Zombie with a Y at the end. Which yeah. makes it which makes it cute. Yeah, this is the, this is the first time I've seen characters refer to hopping zombies. Yes, <laughs> but they ride that, you know. They 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 keep at it, you know, and even nicknames him zombie. So it right. seems like they, they they decided upon that uh, kind of consciously, in the way the subtitles did. Uh, there, there's adult rivalry as well as like comedic inclusions. I mean, there they, they are different schools, you know, different uh, martial arts schools, and they and the leaders are no magic. Kind of. I mean, I, I don't know too much about what happened in this movie until the... And I didn't really care until the hour mark, really. Uh, and I, I'll, I'll get to that. Uh, sl- slight comedic inclusions also include a character that seems to be taken right out of the Billy Lau mold mm. for these movies. Playing an, an, an ignorant, annoying official of some kind that uh, that is stubborn as well. But th- this character is not that much in the movie, so it's not like we get a, a full-on mr vampire character here uh, that billy Lau played in that movie admittedly that it was good in mr vampire grating in the likes of mr vampire in 1992 but uh but uh so billy Lau obviously isn't a quiet taste but uh, it's all very slight and to uh, 
uneventful even with three days uh, so uh but thankfully thankfully by the hour mark and uh, all throughout the last half hour really uh chan and the action team uh, director chan and the action team have the kids enter another dimension of sorts to save their dead and supernatural friends uh, the fox spirit and zombie and, and the last few reels are really the selling point including for the 3d aspect i mean they end up initially uh dancing and kind of battling an army of paper dolls that are in their personal playground uh, mm-hmm. and there's lion dancers and there's uh, there, there is a, there is a bad vampire as well in there called Hunkun. it all despite all of that be it doesn't deviate into adult territory as such but isn't annoying because of the kids either i mean they are they are martial artists they, they, definitely one of them is and they, they are showing like Lam Xing Ying style techniques at the altar you know biting their hand biting their finger and uh, using the coin sword to like throw spells and shit I mean it, they you know the, the 3D army is quite quite a fun ride during the last half hour it's quite focused overall and uh, it shows belief in its young ones and uh, and the 3D frills and the action frills uh, we're talking 3D frills first. They may be very obvious and cheap, but again, they are physical, and uh, and the 2D energy itself is high, very high. I mean, there's a lot of crazy action here that might not be honed as such, but there's a lot of it. The energy is high, and uh, there's a lot going on. Just like we talked with Wolf Devil Woman, as long as you kind of just attack my senses, I'm in a right way and this is the right way i'm i'm kind of on board and uh, the mashup of 3d and what they could do in 2d anyway physically it becomes a suitable and logical mashup uh, but it you know it might have only been for one movie this mashup but i'm glad that it kind of worked and uh and, and my final note is uh, uh chan uh chan chung ying the, as you described him as the taiwanese uh, bob hoskins appear in this one with very silly facial hair Yes. <laughs> Not yeah. even. It seems like he wanted to disguise himself with uh, one of those phony mustaches, but I think they are saying that, oh, this character has grown one of those wavy type of mustaches. Yes, just definitely a movie mustache. Yeah. And uh, Jack Long was apparently in it. I have no idea where he was in this. I can never pick Jack Long out in these films. I he's know, always, he's I know. He's buried under wigs and facial hair. I, I just have to take people's word for it. That he's exactly. That's the only way I recognize him from Mystery of Chess Boxing and Seven Grandmasters. I know uh, uh, under Joseph Quo's direction, I know where Jack Long is. Apparently he was in it somewhere. So, <laughs> But um, uh, you said you were going to watch this as well, so... Yeah, I had time last night. It was pretty late, so I was kind of tired. I eventually gave up trying to watch the subtitles because I, I was getting confused with the storyline. But I just went with the action, and it was fun. I mean, I've, I've been able to see a couple of Taiwanese films in 3D. There was a, I don't know if I'd call it a boom, but there were in the um, early 80s, or no, it could be the late 70s because the first one would have been um, Lo Wei's uh, Magnificent Bodyguards with mm-hmm. Jackie Chan. Uh, there was a director in the U.S. named Mike Finley who specialized in adult movies, <clears throat> but he created a 3D lens system, which he made a deal with some Taiwanese companies, and there were some 3D Taiwanese martial arts films. Mm-hmm. There was the uh, Magnificent Bodyguards. Um, there was one called 13 Nuns, which we got released here <laughs> as Revenge of the Shogun Women, even though there's no Shogun. Fantastic <laughs> no, titles, no... nonetheless, man. Yeah, I got to see that in 3D at the Toronto Bee Festival, and that was great fun. And there was a 3D Kung Fu film called Dynasty, yes. which, which I had a um, field sequential 3D copy of that. And you get to see flying guillotines in 3D. And that, that is very cool. I got a movie boner right now, you know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> 
So all throughout the 3D RB, I was just in there thinking, God, I wish I could have seen this in 3D because it, it's it's fun to watch flat, but just having all this stuff constantly coming at you would have been mm-hmm. so much fun. Um, it's funny, no matter how many years I watch these films, there are still elements that that shock me. Uh, there's the old uh, take on you can fight evil using the urine of a virginal boy. Yes. So we get scenes where boys are peeing into each other's hands. <laughs> the kid <laughs> with the pee in his head goes up and throws it on the vampire, comes back for more, repeats. It happens like two or three times in the movie, yes. so they, they write that this way, which was fun. <laughs> yeah, I had a good time with them. Well, one, it's funny, one problem with this was um, the version we saw was dubbed in Cantonese. Yeah, yeah. And when they're doing these dubs, they don't seem to have the full audio elements they, they, I think they're basically just handed a print of the film and said well there you go because you get this weird situation where when they have to put Cantonese dialogue over the Mandarin dialogue and there's music in the background the music changes because they have to switch to different music like there's a cue from um, Firestarter the Tangerine Dream score for that film called Burning Force and it's just used over and over and over again people will be music from the Taiwanese version then people start talking and it'll cut to Burning Force then it'll cut back to the other music and they'll cut back to Burning Force I mean <laughs> the movie's crazy enough that it doesn't really matter but it's just I've noticed that on a number of um, Chinese films they, they really have to do the dub with minimal resources and I guess minimal time too so you get these weird even weirder crazy quilts of music than what you usually get on these pictures Having said all of that uh, about uh, you know t- 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 take an example of uh, you watching uh, the movie you did in in 3D on, on on the big screen and all that, is it at all in any of these movies you think effective when watching with the with the actual 3D glasses? So it's 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 just novelty that you kind of chuckle at, but you know it, you know it, has it ever worked for you in these old movies, Asian or not? You know. Yeah, because I love 3D as an exploitation gimmick. That's how I first saw it. That's yeah. how I, I mean, in the, the days before Avatar, where we were supposed to be used for artistic effect, it was it was just to throw shit at the screen. I mean, breasts, spears, arrows. Mm. I mean, it, that's that's exactly what uh, Dynasty and Revenge of the Shogun women are. It's things flying at the screen. And, mm. and if, if you enjoy that, then you're going to have a good time with them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, and I think they, this would have played fairly well. Uh, I mean, they, they dropped like butterflies in the screen at one point in that other dimension that they go to it's like i know what you're doing <laughs> you know depth <laughs> in that regard uh, not just stuff flying at you but stuff you know creating depth in the fr- in the frame they're doing that as well but uh, and there's uh, that there's that prolonged scene where they're fighting the paper men and the one's head comes off and they're just kicking it all over the place and it's yeah. flying around that would have looked great in 3d uh, uh, someone pointed out to me when I posted the poster on Facebook. Uh, the background is from the Fright Night poster. You know, the head that is over the house uh, in the Fright Night poster. They took right. that and put that in the background for the Free the Army poster. Yeah, and they just had a little yin yang symbol on yeah. the monster. And that's so, it. Yeah. Great shameless exploitation. I love it. Uh, but uh, yeah, con- considering it's 3D and uh, a kids movie, it was. Uh, you know, it's quite low on annoyance. They could have really made it annoying, but the kids are—they—they are—they are, they are quite right. They—they they know the stuff. Yep. So uh, all good fun. Uh, okay, I think we're done. I've not thought of exactly what movie to cover next, but I'm following kind of my pattern w- that I—I I use myself when starting these uh, movies, uh, uh, reviewing these movies for my own site. So w- Wolf and Ninja and deadly darling were were definitely were definitely part of that early starts i'm, I'm gonna look at my review index index because i think 
uh, early on I did uh, Fury in Red as well and uh, yes I did indeed uh, so maybe we'll actually at least cover Fury in Red the Taiwanese go with the gun remake slash ripoff depending on who you speak to uh, we, maybe we'll do that and, uh, and, and inject um, a few few movies uh, during this segment or just pick another random one because if you go by the timeline my review timeline if you will uh, one of the most fun movies that I reviewed for that came out of this uh, era was uh, Commando Fury and that's the IFD title I've never ever found out 100% what that women in prison movie was called in Taiwan, but it's the, it's a widescreen version again, and it's the movie where there is a scene where they are running through the jungle trying to flee from the gods and all of that, and the, all of a sudden the trees come to life. <laughs> Never explained. <laughs> Just okay, let's cut down some vines and shit, and then run, it, run further. It looked great in the Evil Dead, so let's do it in our film. Absolutely. So maybe we'll do a double bill of those, not because they belong together, just because they are cool Taiwanese movies. So, hmm. uh, But uh, that is us for, for this episode. Let's do some contact information again, and then we'll sign off. So, this has been Taiwan Noir on the Podcast on Fire Network. Email podcastonfire at googlemail.com Website, of course, podcastonfire.com you can still check out the forum, podcastonfire.com forward slash forum. Members only archive is there for previously registered members. And we also have the bonus episode section on the website uh, where we'll possibly do a bonus episode or two when the opportunity arises for um, that connects to Taiwan War. We'll see what happens there. And uh, those are only available on the website, not on iTunes or Stitcher. You can check, it out, check us out and like us on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash POF network, and join the discussion going on in the discussion group that you can reach by searching Podcast on Fire Network in the Facebook search box, and it should pop up. And uh, follow us on Twitter as well, twitter.com forward slash Podcast on Fire. And as I said, I do uh, writing of, uh, among other things, these kind of movies on sogoodreviews.com and do little video reviews of those at sleazykvideo.com. And speak of all that nonsense and filth and lots more on twitter.com forward slash sogoodreviews. And you can subscribe to the Podcast on Fire Network on iTunes. Leave us a comment and rating if you like the show. We would very much appreciate that. And stream us via Stitcher if you prefer uh, prefer your podcasts delivered that way. Download the application directly to your computer or your smartphone or tablet. And once you're in Stitcher, you can type in Podcast on Fire Network in the search box and you can add each show individually. Hopefully you, you, hopefully you like all of them. And... Uh, also, the blog that we mentioned at, top, at the top of the show, Jesus' blog, Golden Ninja Warrior Chronicles, currently unearthing and uh, looking behind the ninja cut-and-paste efforts and seeing what the source movies are. And he was the one that identified the Ninja Commandments uh, source movie. Uh, I, I couldn't find it because it wasn't listed in the Elsa Jung or Oh Chun Hung filmographies uh, in English anyway on uh, Hong Kong Movie Database, but it is now, so good on you, Jesus, and continue the great work and uh go ahead and plug your stuff again john okay i'm in video watchdog and uh my blog at blogspot is by john charles that's all one word i'm on twitter jcgulph and my old uh, site is hong kong digital right on and uh that's us so thanks again for coming on john and hopefully we'll see you for next episode to see uh, if we can uh, find some harsh Taiwanese stuff and some <laughs> silly Taiwanese stuff with rape or in 3D you never know <laughs> Thanks, the, hunt, the, the, hunt, the hunt is on for the 3D rape movie made in Taiwan, maybe there is one <laughs> I'm sure there is, thanks again <laughs> no worries, see you later guys bye bye